well so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chickie Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917-889-3675. So sit back, relax, and remember, Southern Sense is Common Sense. emergency strikes, what's your first impulse? If your answer is run to the grocery store, you're likely to find chaos and plenty of empty shelves. So how do you avoid this? Well, it's simple. You use today to make a plan to prepare for things that may happen. It's a hurricane, earthquake, blizzard, or even social unrest, especially in today's political environment. The practical place to start is by storing up food in your home. And I use my Patriot Supply for my food storage. If you don't have an emergency food supply, it's time to do so. Here's a great item that makes it really simple. A two-week food kit that comes in a rugged tote. And it's only $75 when you go to my special website, preparewithsouthernsense.com, or call 888-441-7290. This food kit includes breakfast, lunch, and dinners that will last up to 25 years on your storage shelves. So order now and prepare yourself, and then rest easy. So it's very simple. Just call 888-441-7290 or go to preparewithsouthernsense.com. You know what? Let's make it even more simple than that. You're listening to my show, and it's called Southern Sense, and you know you put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com, 
and click on the icon for My Patriot Food. Well, if you want to insist, you can still go to 888-441-7290 or go to my website, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Be prepared. Find out the colors of you. I see only two and boy, I like. All right. Welcome back to Southern Sense. It's been a little bit of a, a hiatus here, uh, but we are back on here live. I'm just trying to work out the glitches because I'm trying to get it up on Facebook Live. It looks like I'm not doing too well. Well, anyway, welcome to Southern Sense. You're here listening live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, The Lone Star Daily News, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook. Ah, oh, the heck with it. Go to the name of the show. What a dash in the middle. Southern-Sense.com. And the sound you hear behind me is an F-35 coming out of the Marine Corps Air Station. That is the sound of freedom, folks. So welcome aboard. I'm your hostess with the most dis- the radio chickadee, Annie, along with my co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Good afternoon, Curtis. How are you today? I'm feeling a lot better now that they're going to reopen the beaches in Jacksonville. <laughs> I have somewhere to go. But you can't, oh, bring, man. You can't I, bring a blanket, though. No blankets <laughs> allowed. Oh, man. Um, I, I had took a little bit of a hiatus because uh, I had a situation with my family. Uh, to begin with, uh, before we had our major disaster in our family here, um, we got a diagnosis for my husband that he has cancer. So we were dealing with that and trying to get coordination with his doctors and everything else. And no, he's not going for chemotherapy. There's a different procedure that they're going to be doing that should be quite successful. So we got our fingers crossed. He's going to be around for quite a long time. Uh, but three days after we get that diagnosis, I get a call. And people that listen to their show know that my mother lives in the Caribbean, and she had a stroke. And we were getting messages uh, from her and from the doctors and everything else. Oh, it was a mini stroke they called, you know, which I had a number of years ago when Cool Mike was my co-host. I know what a mini stroke is because I've lived through two of those. And you know, I'm thinking, all right, fine. So she's ambulatory. She's up. If anything, she's on a walker. No big deal. She's in good hands. They're taking care of her. And I was not told the truth. And as I'm Learning a little bit more and more as I'm talking to the doctors down there, we make the decision, my sister and I, to fly her up here because there's no rehab for stroke victims down there. There's, if there is anything, it's not worth a damn. So I'm, so I'm not putting them down. It's just that they don't have the facilities or capabilities to handle someone that has had a major stroke. But we weren't told she had a major stroke. So they actually happened to have recommended a place that's just not too far away from where I live, about 25 minutes. So we make the arrangements to get her admitted, to fly her up and everything else. And uh, the day before she's supposed to fly out, I get a phone call from a very angry doctor. I'm not going to release her unless you fly down here, meet her, and bring her up with you. She cannot travel alone. Well, that's not what we were being told previously. And I had made arrangements with American Airlines, and they were really fantastic. They bent over backwards for us to meet her at the airport, to assist her on and off the plane, to make her connections, have wheelchair service for her between the gates, so forth. I I did everything I could possibly do except fly down. So 
She's going to be flying up in about 24 hours. I had to throw everything together, get airline tickets to fly down. On the plane I rode down, she was going to be taking that same flight back up. What I met at the airport was not a mini stroke. This was a woman that was completely paralyzed on one side. She couldn't walk. She couldn't do anything. So here I am, my poor mother, and I'm flying her back up here. I flew, I, I went to Charleston Airport 4 o'clock in the morning on, February, on April 3rd, which is normally a day I'd be broadcasting, which is why I wasn't on the air, because this happened all last minute. 4 o'clock in the morning, I get to Charleston Airport, make my connections, get down to St. Thomas at 3.15 in the afternoon. The plane was going to be leaving 45 minutes later. And Curtis, believe it or not, they made me get off the plane. It was the same flight, same seat, made me get Uh off the plane, go through TSA and customs. Now, St. Thomas is part of the U.S. Virgin Islands. You know, what part of the United States do they not understand? I didn't have to get off the plane. My luggage did not have to leave. I mean, I took a small carry-on. God forbid I got stuck down there. So I had a small little attache case carry-on. So I have to get off, go all the way back through TSA inspections, have myself check in with the ticket, go through customs, and explain why I'm there and why I'm going back on the same flight. Believe it or not, the... the the crew on the aircraft said, don't worry, Mrs. Ubelis, we'll hold the flight for you. They did. They actually did. They held the flight. They made sure that she boarded and I boarded first because she is disabled. I mean, it took three people to lift her out of the wheelchair, to put her onto the wheelchair to get her into, onto the plane, and then three people to take her out of that wheelchair to get her into the seat. And this had to be done on two different flights. God bless American Airlines. And i got to give a, a special kudos to the crews that, you know, I flew with. Especially this one young man, Josh. Josh, you probably are listening or you will listen later. Josh, you made my mother's flight. Thank you. God bless you. He kept her laughing, kept her happy, kept her up. What a wonderful flight attendant. And the others that were there... Did basically the same thing, but he he took extra, a little extra step, a little extra step forward for us. God bless him. Plus, I had a, an extra scotch. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so we get her here. We flew in at midnight. So imagine I got to the airport at 4 a.m. in Charleston. I flew back around midnight. And thankfully, my husband and I took a uh, hotel right by the airport. And again, to the hotel staff, the manager physically picked my mother up by himself and lifted her into the bed for us. And then the next morning when we were checking out to bring her back here to my home, um, the day manager, she had a friend of hers who is a Air Force medic help lift my mom out of the wheelchair and into the car. Well, we get home and we had a rehab hospital admission already set up for her. So all we had to do was the next morning, wake her up, get her dressed, get her cleaned, and take her to the rehab hospital. No, we can't do that because of the COVID virus. So we're being told, because of DHEC, which is the Department of Health and whatever else it stands for here in South Carolina, required a 14-day self-quarantine. 
before they would administer the test. And thank you for the doctor that my husband and I have. We got a hold of him on the weekend, texted him on the phone. He was on the phone with us. He came over to the house to examine my mother. And this was on a Saturday. And he said, I'm getting the COVID test in. When the test came in, five days later, he was back at the house, tested her. He had the results in 24 hours. We got her admitted. Now, this all happened over a one-week period, the Friday the 3rd. Following Friday, we did the test on her. Saturday, it came back negative. But she had influenza A. <laughs> Thankfully, my husband and I tested negative. Um, we go to wheel her out of the house, and Curtis, I, I know I told you this, and you heard the, the pain in my voice. Yeah. We were wheeling her out of the house. We didn't have a handicap lamp, so my husband took some plywood, put it down over the steps so we can wheel her out to the car. Makeshift. We dropped her. Yeah, makeshift ramp, we dropped her. We got her like two feet from the end of the ramp, and there's a cement walkway along the front of my house. And you know, you know, Curtis, going up to the front door, there's a cement. She hit, went head down, right smack on the face, mm. cement, face first, her paralyzed arm pinned under her. Yanni goes down and hits the ground pretty hard. The wheelchair goes down so hard, it actually broke the arm on the wheelchair. I am trying to help her. I'm yelling at Yanni, dial 911. We get EMS here, and they're just blocks away. They were here within moments. Helped lift her up, took her to the emergency room, and a hospital nearby is treating COVID patients, but they kept her separated, and there was no interaction between the medical staff handling them and her. Hours later, she's released. We pick her up. We take her to the rehab. Mom is now in the rehab center. So that is what my last two weeks have been. So we have a couple of days of breathing room, but then we have to go get a hospital bed and some other equipment she's going to need when she gets here, and she's going to be released on the 30th to come back into my care, and she'll follow up with rehab at my house with the nursing visits and whatever else we can get set up for her, but we needed a hospital bed. So, of course, Curtis, I didn't tell you this because we haven't spoken since then, so I go to the medical supply place where my doctor sent the prescription, and the medical supply place Bless their hearts. And anyone that's a true Southerner knows when I say bless their hearts this way, it's not exactly what I mean. Um, They tell me that they no longer accept or process requests for medical hospital beds through Medicare any longer, Medicare or Medicaid. They will sell you a bed for $684, a used refab bed, not a brand new one, or they will rent you one for $125 a month for 13 months. That was wow. a WTF moment. Meanwhile, I had the audacity because I was so exhausted, and they had this counter, temporary counter set up with a mask on it. And they were selling you a paper mask that you used to buy in the hardware store for $0.50 cents for $3.99. I had that audacity to lean my arm on this temporary counter they had up there. And she snapped at me and said, you know, I have to clean that afterwards. I'm like, oh, my God, you're open to the public. You can expect people to put their hands on your counters. 
So consequently, I hit the Internet, and I found a lovely lady up in Daniel Island, which is about two hours north of us, that had a hospital bed for 150 bucks, which was better, in better shape than the one that that medical supply place was going to uh, sell us. So, so my husband and I, on Tuesday, went all the way up to Daniel Island, got the hospital bed, loaded it up onto the trailer, and this is a true story. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Jezebel spirit, and I swear I ran into her, face first into the Jezebel spirit. This nurse that sold me the bed, she was a home care nurse that sold me the bed and helped us get everything loaded up, uh, has a neighbor from hell, uh, literally from hell. And she made a point, and here we are, everyone's keeping a safe distance. She made a point of walking between us and walking past us several times in close proximity. And we had loaded the bed up, and my husband and I would put the tarp over it and tying it down to make sure everything stays safe and secure. She's up on the second balcony of their apartment and videotaping us as we're doing this. And I wasn't aware of it for a while. Yeah, she had her cell phone out, and she was, she was filming us. And in the interim, this woman had pulled into the parking lot a few spaces away, had this really adorable little two-year-old girl. And she gets the girl out of the stroller, and the two of them would go into the apartment. The woman left the stroller behind the car. And I know she had her mind on her little girl, but she left the stroller in the parking lot where anyone coming through could hit it. And she had been gone for about 10, 15 minutes or so. So we got all loaded up. My husband was doing the final tie-down. I went over, picked up the stroller, and put it on the sidewalk in front of the car where no one was going to run it over. And at least she knows she comes down, she'll see it right away, that it's, it's okay, it's safe, it's not <laughs> run over or anything. She filmed me. This, this, this woman from hell is filming me doing this. And it wasn't until I got into the car to go home that I realized what she was doing. And my husband's backing up the trailer, and she's filming. I guess she was hoping that he was going to hit one of the cars in the parking lot. So I looked at her, and she had this wicked, really, I mean, evil smile. When you see evil smile at you, it was this woman's face. So I smiled and waved back. You know me, I'm the clown. I smiled and waved back. And she, the smile even got even nastier. It was almost like a leer. Of course, Curtis, you know me, I'm me. I end up flipping her the bird and laughing. Because it's basically <laughs> saying to her, you know what? You have not defeated me. I am safe and secure in who I am and in my love for God. <laughs> I just flipped her the bird and wow. said, to hell with you, she devil. But, you know, that was Tuesday. And then yesterday, my husband had to go up to the, the Medical University of South Carolina for some final testing before they start his treatment on him, which starts next week. And it was six and a half hours. We had to get there at 9.30 in the morning. So we got there at 9.30. He checks in. I can't go into the hospital with him because of the quarantine, the COVID virus. So I am stuck sitting outside for six and a half hours. And Wednesday was a cold, nasty, nasty day. Really nasty day. So he finally comes out almost 3 o'clock in the afternoon from his testing, and we go home. So I, I am so physically exhausted. <laughs> it's unbelievable. So this is my welcome back 
So those listening, um, I can't guarantee we will have a show next week. Everything's going to hinge upon what happens when he goes up for his next treatment. So listening in, we're going to try our best to continue with the Friday broadcast. But if you don't hear from us on the air, it's because we've got our hands full. Mom is coming home at the end of the month, so I'll be caring for her full time until we feel that she's rehabbed enough to live independently. If. And that's the thing, if, if she ever will be able to do that. And once we get ourselves into a routine and we're comfortable with what our daily schedule is, then I will start back up full-time with the show, as I always do. So please, if you don't hear me on the, on the air next week or the week after, because we're dealing with a lot right now. So we're going to be through this. We will get through this, and we, we will. We will yeah, we will. The very... Many, many people that have stepped up to that to help us, people coming out of the woodwork. So we're trying to get ourselves a handicap ramp built for her so when she comes home, I'm not going to drop her. I'm going to do my best not to drop her. So but I, I got a question for you. I got a question yeah. for you, though. Um, in this age of the coronavirus, you, you said you took a flight. What was that like? I mean, um, was it crowded? Was there a lot of people? Did you have to sit every other seat or what on the airplane? Actually, actually, um, on the flight from um, Charleston, because we had a layover in Miami in both directions, um, the flight from Charleston to Miami, there were four passengers and five crew members. And they they moved me up to first class on that leg. Wow. The second leg, um, I had made sure that the seat I had selected had no one around me. So basically, everyone was doing safe distancing on the leg from Miami to St. Thomas. And that, was, that wasn't that was all that full. I would say maybe one-third full. Um, but that was fine. Uh, so I sat in the economy on that segment. And I had booked the tickets on the way back. Uh, in first class and business class. The leg from St. Thomas to Miami was business class because there was no first class. And I made sure I picked seats that were the very front row so that they could get her in and out easily. And uh, then again, they made sure that there was no one you know, sitting around us. Uh, and then I had booked the first class seat, again, front row, so she can come in and out real easily. And on from the segment from St. Thomas to Miami, that was pretty full. I would say that was about three quarters full. That was a pretty, pretty big fight. And then and again, from Miami, side to side. Side. some people side were, yeah, yeah, some, because the flight was that full. They had no no choice. Uh, some people wore masks. Some people wore gloves. Whatever. But you know, we were getting, like I said, we were in the very front, right behind the uh, the cabin. And um, the last segment we flew first class had only three people on the flight from Miami to Charleston. So we had four going down and only three going back. And I got to tell you, I was, I accounted for two of those seats as the seven that were sold. So it was, it was, uh, it was an interesting thing. But you know, wow. what bothered me was the long layover in Miami. Because here you are, people are walking past you all the time. And we had on the way down three and a half hour layover. And on the way back, it was a four-hour, over four-hour layover. So there were a lot of people wandering around. 
you know, at first the airport was kind of empty, and I sent my husband some photos. Like there was only one restaurant near us that was open. The bathrooms were okay. open, thank God for that. Um, but there were most of the people I saw were crew and staff, but there were a lot of passengers also milling around. It wasn't a full airport. You know that it was maybe two or three percent of what they normally see in traffic, but they had closed off areas of the airport. So, you know, people were limited into where they could go. There weren't that many gates open, so they had everyone just basically funneled into areas they can control easily. But that said, um, we've got your friend. Oh, uh, before I, I, I bring your our guest on, uh, people that listen to the show know we start our show off with a dedication to a fallen hero. And because of the COVID Wuhan virus, I'm going to call it what it is, the Wuhan virus. And I've said that, Curtis, you know that from day one. I haven't stopped calling it the Wuhan virus from the very first day. We are dedicating the show to all of the first responders and medical personnel that are on the front lines during this Wuhan COVID-19 virus scare. Uh, They are truly putting their lives on the line to protect our lives and to serve the people that have become infected. Um, We're starting to see things open up again, uh, but still, these first responders, uh, God bless them, and thank them for the hard work they're doing. So today's entire show is dedicated to these brave men and women on the front line today. That said, Curtis, uh, let us bring on our guest. And for some reason, there we go, there we go. Uh, we have the Reverend Charlene Cothran uh, of the Evidence Ministry out of the Zion Baptist Church of Palm Coast, Florida. Good afternoon, Reverend. How are you today? Good afternoon. What an honor to be with you today and your listeners. Hello. Hey. It is our pleasure. <laughs> hey. It is our pleasure. Um, I, I, I have to apologize because my brain isn't quite that functioning just yet. I woke up, we have a heavy, I don't know, Curtis, if you have it coming your way, but a heavy weather front coming through, and it's giving me such a, a barometer ahead. So I've got a bit of a headache, so I'm not thinking quite clearly yet, so I apologize. Um, but you've got a very okay. interesting story, an interesting ministry, and it's funny because later on in the show, we're going to have two guests in uh, that are going to be talking about the Jezebel spirit. And when I was reading your story, I was wondering how much of your life had been influenced by the Jezebel spirit that we find so rampant in our society today, especially coming out of the LBGT XYZ community. Wow. Uh, The Jezebel spirit, that is an interesting take. Uh, And it is true. That type spirit uh, I encountered, I guess, around 13 years old. And uh, I guess because this is only a half-hour show, I'm going to get right to my adulthood where I did all of my dirt uh, as an adult uh, in the lesbian and gay community. I should let you know right off the bat I don't use uh, LGBTQY because that is – every time we use that term, we're basically uh, affirming their language. 
when I was working in that community, we made up those terms. I remember when it was just gay, lesbian, and then we had to add the T. And then, of course, that wasn't enough. We had that five people didn't feel included. So I remember as those letters grew. So every time now, and the church and people like yourselves would never use those terms a long time ago. So they were just masterful in getting the whole world to use their language. And so I just call, uh, and I hope you're okay with this, I just call homosexuals homosexual. I don't use their language. So I was an activist in the homosexual. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, activist in the homosexual community uh, for many years. Um, I'm a former um, co-founder of the uh, Lesbian Conference, and from that organization, we founded a Hospitality Atlanta, a private social club for black lesbians, attended by um, professional black women, um, academics from all over the country, and many from some of the surrounding islands who could not be seen in their own community with their significant same-sex other. We had well-planned, well-hidden events that, were, uh, again, we made a lot of money over those years and began to pick up the attention of the gay and lesbian uh, political lobby. I, uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, sat on the mayor's task force for gay and lesbian issues under Maynard Jackson, um, was a, one of the founding board members of Atlanta Gay Pride, is a, a huge organization. Um, eventually, as the years passed, began to publish a black gay and lesbian magazine called Venus that was uh, distributed, professionally distributed across the country and eventually around the world. Uh, I was an active member of the Human Rights Campaign, and I'm just setting up you know, the reason why I know some of the things I know and the reason why I'm working uh, the way I'm working now. Uh, I was a board member of the National Gay, Black Gay and Lesbian Leadership Forum. I was a board member of the National Gay and Lesbian Task Force, founded Black Gay Pride in Atlanta, and so on. And so now I work for God. I had a encounter with Jesus Christ in June of 2006 that turned my world upside down. And uh, my full testimony is, is, is available at our website at theevidenceministry.org. We have uh, some videos there, several, uh, that can, you know, tell all about it uh, there. But today there's so many um, things that I would love to, hit, to have your listeners hear about. Uh, and, again, the work that I do, I do now not because, um, or, and even then, not because I was so accomplished uh, or smart, just that I was willing and available. And that's, uh, you know, a message that I want to send out to people. Are you willing and available to do the work that needs to be done so that we can get back to what I'm calling true normal? Our leaders now are talking about getting the world to acknowledge that we have to move forward with a new normal. And, uh, and I believe me, when, uh, when you talked about the spirit of Jezebel, Jezebel is going to be all up in that new normal. I'm saying that we've got to go back to what is called the true normal. Just, you know, reiterating and aligning ourselves with what we know is true. Well, Reverend, what's, yes, what's going on with the um, propagandizing of our children? Uh, can you say that again? See, yes, I'm sorry. What's going on with the propagand, propagand, um, propagandizing guess, yeah. of our children? Oh, absolutely. With, with this so, movement. Yeah, so, yeah, so what's, what this movement, um, what they're doing, they are trying to confuse children through the school system, and they're very successful at it because they've had 
uh, many, many years of organizing, many years of codifying their uh, ideologies into uh, school systems. Uh, this is not news, I'm sure, to your listeners, that even the National Education Association, the NEA, is, is completely uh, in agreement, out of the closet, openly in agreement, uh, lockstep with human rights campaign and gay, all gay and lesbian issues. And this was really solidified with eight years of the Obama administration. And so now we have um, not just homosexuality, but gender identity, quote unquote, that um, they're trying to get this into the non-discrimination policy manual of all local public schools. And so I'm saying that uh, we really have to pay attention to politics at the local level. That's where they're doing most of their pushing right now. They know that with, thank God, with President Trump uh, in office, and I know we're going to have four more years of conservative uh, uh, ideology and, and he is rolling back or, you know, de- uh, retracting some of the things that Obama uh, let go forth. Uh, I, they already know that. So what are they doing? They're breaking up now uh, what they were trying to do nationally, and uh, they're going back to local politics. And they're getting so much done because we've been asleep. They know that they've, got, they've done so much to silence churches, to silence pastors, to silence uh, uh, parents because parents, what, they are employed and they don't want to be fired or they don't want to be discriminated. They don't want to be called a hater. They don't want to not be promoted. And so nobody will speak up. And so what do I have? Again, I'm not the smartest. I'm not the sharpest pencil in the, in the box. But what I am is bolder than, a, than most in this hour to stand up and speak what is true about marriage. I don't care what they've tried to reinvent. It is between one man and one woman to stand up and speak what is true about gender, which is what you're talking about, CS. They're trying to push gender confusion, teach it as curriculum in public schools. Wow. Reverend, what I I often hear is that when you turn around and you display your Christian faith uh, or you talk about your Christian faith, you always hear, oh, you're a bigot, you're a racist, you hate gays. You know, it, 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 yes. you know, we, you know, turn that around on them. That's so true. That's what they do. But let's look at that differently. Let's turn that around on them and say, I say, until they call me a bigot and a hater, I don't feel like I've done my job. You finally use that as a badge of honor. Instead of the, uh, Christians have been shut down by it, and we've got to change our thinking concerning that. In other words, you're not do you're not you must not be telling the truth if they haven't called you a hater yet. If they're calling you a hater, if they're calling your group a hate group, then guess what? You are doing the right thing. That's biblical, isn't it? Christ Jesus said you're going to be persecuted. <laughs> you can yes. rejoice when you are persecuted. When yes. they call you everything but a child of God, rejoice. That means you're doing the right thing. That's isn't right. That so I'm never I'm worried about that. Correctly? Yes, I it is. That was in Matthew. I guess I, I Matthew love five. That, but... Quotation. Matter of fact, I've got it on my webpage. Basically, mm-hmm. you know, if you're not called uh, names, if you're not persecuted, then you're not doing your job. Or as Curtis knows, I love to say, uh, it's my New Year's resolution now for the last 10 years that I have to piss off at least one liberal a day. <laughs> so, <laughs> good for you. We don't, we don't get our so calling into that we're not doing our job. But, you know, it, it, there's so much truth to what you're saying, but they will turn around and throw the Bible at us. 
And in the Bible, right. there's passages where you're not supposed to eat anything with a cloven hoof, or you're not supposed to be eating shellfish or things like that. And yet, they, they seem to forget that when mm-hmm. Christ died on the cross, all of the old laws, which were just mm-hmm. teaching us how to be more obedient to God, all those old laws went out the well, see, what they don't so tell you is that there's a difference between moral law and ceremonial law. Of course, exactly. the moral laws of the Lord never, ever change, never change. But ceremonial law, of course, changes with time. The times do change with ceremony. We're not even doing the same type of uh, presidential ceremony that they did in what, in, in the 1700s. Ceremonial law changes. Moral law is constant in God, and they, they know that but they want to confuse people who don't know the word of God. No, which is absolute truth. And my point was going to be that, you know, in the Old Testament, it was specified marriage is between one man and one woman. And when Christ Mm -hmm. asked that specific question, he answered it is between one man and one woman. That law did not change. So, yes, we can eat pork, and yes, we can eat oysters on the half shell, you know, as you say, ceremonial law and moral law. The moral laws That's remain right. the same in the Old Testament as they are in the New Testament. Thou shalt love thy Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul. And this is That's the first right. and greatest of all commandments. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Upon these two Absolutely. are all the prophets and the law. So we can love our neighbor no matter what their sexual preference may be, but we will not, not give con- uh, acknowledgement or I'm trying to think of the word and it's going right out of my mind or acceptance to a lifestyle mm-hmm. that is against the moral law. So yes, mm-hmm. we will welcome you into the church, but also realize that in the church we will not accept your homosexuality. We will not absolutely marriage, right, and it makes a big difference. To your, you know, we will minister to your soul. If you don't want us to preach, Christ also knew that. He knew when to Absolutely. preach to someone and when to walk away from that person. Absolutely. Let me tell you a story about how I was challenged. And I'm completely going off the notes I prepared. But uh, for uh, four years here in Flagler County, I pastored a small congregation. And I was challenged by people who, okay, well, let me come in with my lover and hold hands in front of her while she's speaking. And I welcomed them. I gave them the same loving hug that I gave all the other parishioners because I knew, number one, that there's a spirit of pride that brought you in the door. You didn't come for the word. You came to to see if you can challenge me. No problem. And I welcomed them to come back. But guess what? By the end of the service, they're not holding hands anymore, kind of moving away from sitting so close together because they recognize that, number one, she's She's not, you know, attacking. She's, she's loving us. She actually believes what she's telling us. And then once that relaxed their defense mechanism, the word then begins to penetrate their senses. I don't know if it penetrated their heart in that moment, but it did begin to penetrate their senses in that they began to want to be less, you know, disrespectful. Another example, a grandmother came with her out with their child, uh, probably 11 years old or so, member of the, our local school system, 
he was already, I don't think he'd ever had sex yet, but he was already beginning to identify uh, or, or, or move toward, I think I'm gay grandma, I think I'm gay ma. Had the gay emblem on his Facebook page. They were concerned as mother, as father. They were like, oh, no, not our child. They came to our church specifically because they knew of my testimony. They had heard it some kind of way and joined our church. I loved that kid, loved on him. And what I did in his case, he was very uh, erudite, you know, could read well, could sing well, wanted to serve. We allowed him to usher and all that, but he wanted, he asked his grandmother, could he teach Sunday school? And I knew that's where we would have to draw the line. And I'm saying this for pastors and leaders and teachers in church who have loved ones and cousins and sons and daughters who suddenly they become, they, you know, they come out to you and they're in a position of teaching. Teaching is more important than preaching. Every preacher has got to be taught. And so it is a very important yeah. position. And so we, that's what we really had to teach both he and his grandmother because his grandmother was so proud of him. She was like, sure, he can teach Sunday school too, right? No, he cannot. That, there's <laughs> a line here we have to draw to say, look, um, you cannot profess that you're gay. Are you ready to, uh, again, relinquish that? Are you ready to submit yourself to that? Are you ready to take down uh, not just the, the gay, gay and lesbian emblem off of your webpage, but take the gay and lesbian emblem off of your heart, off of your mind? This is where we got to go with that. We can't allow him to stand as a person who is, con- you know, who is saying, I think I'm gay and teach Sunday school. But you can usher, you can sing, and, and we allowed him to do that. And we spoke over his life each and every week, began to speak to him to say, look, I see the, the, a glimpse of what God has for you. We see that when you grow up, you're going to have a wonderful wife. We see that when you're going to have beautiful children, that you're going to have to teach the ways of God too. We began to speak into existence to, so that he could see the woman, you know, so he could see a future with a woman. And guess what? That boy is 16 years old now with a girlfriend. So I'm not saying that, you know, but we're hoping that we, all, that we planted a seed that was clearly watered as he grew in other places. But I'm just saying for parents, this is an example of parents. Even, you know, don't, what, don't let what you see standing in front of you frighten you so much that you think that God uh, is not hearing you. Continue to speak the truth. Continue to speak what you want to see uh, over that child, no matter what they say. They have, they have, some of them are trained by the uh, gay and lesbian and homosexual lobby to say, tell your parents, I'm never going to speak to you again. Know that that is just stuff that they're regurgitating. They don't hate you. They love you, and they need you. They're simply regurgitating some junk they heard in a little after-school group or in a gay group or at a gay club. They're just regurgitating junk. I know it hurts, but no, that's not their words. That's the Jezebel spirit. That's not their words. That's not what they feel. Uh, Curtis, I just want to ask this question. Yes, I want to ask this one question because it's, I, I, as I'm watching this movement as it grows, they're relying on peer pressure, which is why they go Absolutely. after the youngest because they're most malleable. So as we Absolutely. see it, it's, it's peer pressure. You want to be part of the hip crowd. Now, we're social animals. Let's face it. We crave approval. We crave acceptance. And for some, this is the only way in which they can get that acceptance and approval. And they tap mm-hmm. into that, which is a perfect example of the Jezebel spirit at work here. 
Well, then you've got that spirit. Um, you know, in schools, you have the spirit supported by what they're already getting in media at home. Unfortunately, parents are not parenting. I mean, you know, we we dig with parents are not. Not all of them, anyway. We they can't wait for the kids to get out of the house and go to schools. In other words, the school is a babysitting service more than more than an educator to some parents. Um, then, when the kid gets home, the television is the parent, <laughs> or the or the device is the parent, and so the parent barely gets to spend any time with the kids because they're what they're trying to make ends meet. They're trying to advance themselves. They're trying to keep the mortgage paid and all that. I understand, but but what they're what they're giving up. Is their child's um, their child's God God fear you know God God fearing uh, lessons? They're not getting that from anywhere because these parents are either not church or they're not taking their children to church or they're taking their children to churches that only care about socialization and uh, not the real word of God. And so they're get, they're missing it. And so this is one of the reasons why our uh, ministry exists. We are bold enough to stand in the public square and say, parents, you're being lied to. School boards, you're being lied to. In fact, in January of this year, we launched a campaign that simply said, stop lying. And so people were like, oh, my goodness, who is this pastor who who would say such a thing? How offensive is that? And I'm like, the gospel, it's time (laughs) to be offensive, people. We've been nice. We've been conciliatory for too long, for so long. The church has sat back and said, oh, we just have to be loving, and we do. But we have got to at this in this hour, and thank God, you know, this this the hour that we're in, where we have had to stay at home. It is a terrible thing for um, our first responders. A terrible thing for people who are sick and who have lost loved ones. But I'm telling you, it is an eye opener for parents to reset. Uh, to sort of hit the reset button in the home, to reorganize themselves, to take hold of the authority that God has given them in their home, to look at what it takes to educate a child, to look over your child's materials. You're going to get into them, see them. Some of them have not seen these things in years. They didn't really, you know, uh, delve in that much. But I think God is, is concerned. Um, yeah. Obviously, God has been concerned. Go ahead, Curtis. Okay, my question is this. The homosexual community seem bent on gaining legitimacy. Now, do they see the adopting of children and the ritual of marriage as the key to establishing this legitimacy? And what, what effect is this having on children who are adopted by same-sex um, parents? Yes, um, I think early on uh, they thought that um, when I was in, the, uh, in that community, uh, I thought that as well. Um, I actually considered I was in a long-term relationship with a woman for 10 years, and we considered adopting a child and realized that uh, because it wasn't legal in New York to do it, it wasn't legal, I think, in New Jersey at the time, um, Oh, no, 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 it was not legal in Florida. That's what it was, because I knew I had uh, where I'm living now, uh, this house was going to become available. But we were like, well, we can't move to Florida because adopting for gay couples is not legal. We'll have to stay in New York. That's what it was. We had to stay in New York or New Jersey. That's what the conversation at the time. And we weren't so much thinking about legitimizing our relationship as we were uh, just being um, – uh, you know, being lonesome, needing to, you know, wanting to fulfill life, but 
knowing that we couldn't uh, do it in any other manner. So I think for, for, for some people, you're right, C.S., they want to um, legitimize their uh, sexual behavior and clean it up by saying we're a family, look at our children. But for others, they're just playing lonesome. They're in a lifestyle that, can't, that will not allow them to be real. In, a, in other words, it's an imitation of life. That's the words I'm looking for. Homosexuality What's is it? not a real lifestyle. It is an imitation of life. And so you can't come out with a real child. You can't come out with a child that looks like you. You got to borrow your sister's this or your brother's that, and, and you know, an injection and fetal fertilization and all that. It's an imitation of life, and they try to present it as real. Some people, right, uh, trying trying to legitimize the relationship, but others are just plain lonesome and want to have children, but they can't, but they don't want to give up this lifestyle in order to and move forward it? into something that's real. How is it impacting kids? Or do you know the aspect of oh, it? Oh, gosh. It, is, it, ha- it has a terrible impact on children. In fact, there are many adult children now who were brought up in gay and lesbian households who are writing about it, writing books about it. I hope some movies will be made out of some of those books um, who are talking about the dark uh, and, and hurtful ways in which um, their households were presented. It was not normal. How they how they came out depressed, um, how they how they knew inside of themselves even as a child that this is not normal. I don't have a mother and a father. I have two mothers. That's not normal. And it's not that the other kids picked on me about it. That's not the the, the part that hurt them. It was that they a a girl needs her father, a girl needs a mother and a father, a boy needs a mother and a father. That's God's design. We are, we are made to function the way God designs us. And when we move out of God's design, then we come into depression and all the kinds of uh, mental illness that goes along with it. And so these children, I remember uh, CS, when I began to publish a gay magazine, we had to distribute it. And, of course, I was uh, well-connected to many organizations that met monthly at the New York Gay and Lesbian Center. Many of those women had children, couples had children. I'm talking about, you know, infant all the way up to teens. And they would bring their children with them. I would never forget the sad look on those kids' faces because those kids would go to a room of their own to be together while the adults were in some type of meeting. And I just remembered the sad look on their faces. They didn't look normal. I, I internalized that every month. Looking upon those children, they looked at each other like, oh, my God, you too. You know, you have to come here too. You have to pretend that this is normal too. They had that look on their face. They carried a shame. They carried an abnormality uh, in their spirit concerning being forced to come up in this type of um, home and community. It's not normal. It's had a terrible impact on kids. We had on in a couple of years back uh, someone that grew up in the family where uh, the father was gay, and she wrote a very moving book about it, and she says the very same things that you are saying here and now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Children are um, impacted by it, but now children are being impacted. It's not even, uh, you know, by the school, the whole school system. You know, the village that is supposed to protect the child 
is now attacking that child, attacking their psyche, attacking their mind with this what? Uh, transgenderism, gender ideologies is the, is the new uh, thing that is, is really trying to, to kill uh, what it means to be uh, a man or a woman. They want to pretend that there is no specific gender. It's all fluid. You may have certain genitalia, but you won't know. They're actually teaching children in kindergarten in Washington State and in California that you – how many of you are little boys? And the boys, when the boys raise their hand, they say, no, you don't know yet whether you're a little boy. You have to wait and see how you feel. This is being taught. And if gays and lesbians get – their uh, so-called Equality Act, a decision that will be coming, has been argued in front of the U.S. Supreme Court. The decision will come, we suppose, in June. I'm not sure with the pandemic if they'll still decide that by June. But if they get their Equality Act, this will be the law of the land in every public school. Their children will have to be taught that uh, there is no such thing as you're being born, you know, you're born with a genitalia, but your gender can't be determined until later. That is the lie. This is why the campaign "Stop Lying" has uh, gotten for, gone for. And they're teaching it. They're teaching that they're pretending that they already had this law passed. Gays and lesbians are very good at that. They're good at codifying. You know, it's not a law anywhere, yeah. but they'll they'll write it into the record and treat the uh, you know administration as if you are. You're breaking the law. There is no such law. Stop lying. <laughs> well, so this is where I've actually <laughs> this is where we are. Well, uh, I've got a state senator. He happens to be a friend of mine. I've known him going on almost twenty years, um, and he's by rights he's libert he's so conservative he's actually libertarian, and he started asking people to give him support for the Equality Act. Well, he and I went one-on-one going back and forth debating the Equality Act, and I I started breaking down some of the reasons why this is what I call the Inequality Act. Now, when it was originally constructed, we didn't have this humongous gay and transgender community, nor did we have this agenda being so forcibly placed upon the majority of the people in, the, in this country, as well as the rest of the world. And I said, they use the word sex. Now, sex is something that is considered fluid in today's age. You know, how do you define sex? Unless you say specifically a gender, and even that in its case is fluid, I said this Equality Act will be used to silence voices across the nation. Our freedom of speech will go out the window because the only voice that you will have out there is the homosexual and transgender community. That will be the only voice permitted to speak. And if that is less than 1% of our community, then you're allowing the minority to rule the majority. And finally, after going back and forth with him over several emails, he finally started to understand what I was trying to tell him. But the act as it's written, originally, its original intent all those decades ago, fine and Jim dandy. But thankfully, it didn't pass then. It has not passed now. But yet they're using it, as you said, as if it's already law. Yeah. And there, um, there were three cases, as I'm sure you know, that were argued before the Supreme Court earlier this spring. 
the most uh, important one being uh, a transgender, so-called transgender. Again, no man has ever turned into a woman. They only pretend to be a woman. I don't care after operation what you cut off or add on. You're simply acting like a woman. So this so-called transgender uh, male to female employee was working for a funeral home as a male and signed an agreement that he would dress, you know, that, you know, of course, a funeral director, the, your attire is very important. Your, uh, the way you, con- you know, the way you converse with the public is extremely important. Reputation is their entire business. And so, of course, they had to sign then uh, a, a policy that says that, that you'll dress a certain way. Well, he eventually, after so many years working there, said, look, I'm, I'm going to transition into female, and I'm going to begin to dress as a female. And the, the funeral director was like, you know, of course you can't do that. You've been with my company all this time. Everyone in the community knows you as Steve. You can't come in the next day and be Ella or whatever his new name was, and now you're in a dress that doesn't work. And so he, you know, that, but that's not what he said. He said, "Look, you're you're violating our dress policy." He says, I, "You know, I, I'm sure that you would be capable <laughs> to do the same kind of work uh, as a female, but you can't come in, uh, Steve, in a wig and makeup. That's your, your, we know you to be a man." And that has gone all the way to the Supreme Court. It is no accident that this case is concerning transgenderism, so-called transgenderism. And I tell you that it is more than about um, uh, about their so-called equality or their so-called equal rights. It is about money. C.S., you know this is true, because transgenderism, whether it be a child who at 10 years old, whose mother, like we know the case in Texas or whatever, the child was eight, seven or eight years old, was trying to encourage him to, to begin puberty blockers, whether it be a you know, an 18-year-old girl who is now having a double mastectomy of healthy breasts, whether it be a 25-year-old male who has decided now to go with full transgender surgery and have his penis removed to, to prove that now that he's a woman, when, of course, he really can't. He'll never get that. That's why people are detransitioning. Whether yeah. any of that, you know, comes to pass, these people, um, uh, that is a medical issue. That's the point I'm trying to make. It is a medical issue. Well, so now we have the medical community involved. That's money. We have, and then, of course, yes. before you get an operation, you have to be what? Your insurance has to be approved. That's money. And then after your operation, you have to convalesce somewhere. That's more money. And then when you make up, then when you finally go through this. Uh, did we just lose Shelly? Curtis, I think we just lost her. Wow, she's still showing on the panel, but. But yeah, anyway, the studio. Yeah. What a fascinating thing. I was thing. going to say and I see a, pe- a lot of people. I was going to say a lot of people are trying to get in the military so the government, you know, could um, pay for their um, sex change. And I think um, Trump stopped all of that. Yeah. And we had several discuss- discussions you. on the show about that very issue, uh, because if you've got flat feet, the military is not going to take you. If you're colorblind, the Air Force will not take you. Um, That's right. If you have a medical condition, the military says you must be combat ready at all times. If you cannot be combat ready and you've got a medical condition that needs constant care, we don't want you because you cannot defend our nation. 
And yet we had this homosexual and transgender community say, no, you must accept us. But you have to be on hormones for the rest of your life. You need medical treatment and care for the rest of your life. Where you'd be spending, say, 50000 for one soldier, for someone that is a transgender, you're spending more than a million dollars for that very same soldier. So what are you going to do? You're asking the taxpayer to subsidize your lifestyle choice, and it is a choice. Now, I see people coming into the studio, so if it's our next guest, uh, please press once. So that way I know to bring you up on the line live. Uh, our next guest uh, is going to be uh, Dan Perkins and Mark Sutherland. And when we had him on the show last time together, oh, God, they were dynamite. So I'm going to just basically <laughs> sit back and let the two of them take over. Uh, and I, this is an unusual phone number, so this has got to be Mark. And I'm willing to bet. Is this Mark here? Uh, it is, uh, Annie. Hi. Good evening, both of you. How are you? All right. Well, I guess you're calling from the other side of the pond because I'm looking at the phone number going, this is not an American phone number. <laughs> How are you no, today, No, no, no. I am, uh, I'm, I'm okay. I am okay amidst the, uh, this uh, appalling experiment in communism. <laughs> That's an understatement. Now, I also see uh, other numbers in the studio. If Dan Perkins is in there, uh, please press 1, Dan. So I think I see your phone number, but I'm not sure. Uh, so please press 1 if you are waiting to, to join us. Um, you know, it, it's funny because when this first broke out, uh, Curtis and I had a conversation on this show because I had two friends of mine that were serving in the province where this broke out as missionaries and we had been wow. trying to get through to them and we were having a hard time getting a hold of them they since have been able to leave china and they are with relatives still in asia but they're still over there they're safe and so we were following this from day one but i kept on saying this came out of a medical lab that is in the wuhan province and lo and behold this, we found out about the virus back in uh, the end of December, January, February, March. Five months later, in April, lamestream media finally recognizes the fact that this came out of the medical lab I had called out in the Wuhan province in China. How amazing. It took them five months to do what I knew on day one. So how is me, a little tiny nothing, not a government official, not a scientist, not a doctor. But if I could discern this evidence back then, what took them so long, Mark? Well, I think I think we have to. Well, I think we have to roll back here. I mean, there are a number of there are a number of different factors going on, um, as, as the fact that uh, it has just been uncovered that under the Obama administration, maybe about 2015. $3.75 million was given to a laboratory in Wuhan. And that's come out. That's come out in the Daily Mail. That That is out there. I think the other thing is, is that you've been watching the press conferences of the president, I'm sure. And what we have discovered even more is that the press pack, inverted commas, or the lamestream media, 
they it's been revealed when they've been having the a go at the president saying you know do not call this a chinese virus do not refer this as coming out of wuhan do not refer this to china coming out of china which it which it has come from china there is you know something has come out of that and we've then been watching how the uh, Democrats have been behaving. It's then, I can't think of the lady's name, but then the last few days, it has then come to all of our attention that a particular lady that was having a go at, at POTUS, it turns out that her husband is a lobbyist and one of his top clients is, um, is China, Annie and Curtis. I mean, you can't make this up and let's throw something else out there that i think is vitally important at this moment is the fact that uh, hunter biden is still registered as sitting on a chinese company and he has not resigned yet so let's go back even more this is this is the art of war the chinese government declared war on america last year the, the president started having negotiations in regard to the tariffs. And I firmly believe that this is, this is the art of war. We are dealing with a communist country. And that particular country owns quite a bit of your real estate, has big investments in a lot of your companies, and has over time infiltrated left, right, and center. And we face the fact, Annie, that, and Curtis, that, the, uh, that it seems that the Democrats seem to be um, having quite a lot of links with the Chinese as well. We then see the World Health Organization. I'm not making any of this up. Whatever I'm saying now, as I always say, please, everyone, go and do your research. But we discover that the leader of the World Health, uh, Health Organization was, is a Marxist, was part of a politically Marxist group that um, came to power in Ethiopia in 1990. Your country declared it, declared it as a terrorist organization, and he was part of the Tigray. There is also evidence that he has um, come against quite a, uh, a big percentage of his own people in Ethiopia and all this kind of thing. So there is some massive, massive things to uncover here, Annie. And this is what well, I... I mean, other people... Other, I was going to say, other people call this out, but it's like a fourth-generational attack, and we've all obeyed. <laughs> well, you know, the, the insidious relationship China has within the United States as well as the rest of the world... People yes. are, are only beginning just to scratch the surface. And we've done a couple of shows on China's influence attacking it in several different directions from their road building and infrastructure building across the globe. And all of a sudden, lo and behold, oh, we'll build you that port, but you can't pay us for it? All right, so now we will control that port. How many ports yes. in the United States do they control? I mean, right along our, our New England seaboard, there is a port that the U.S. Navy cannot enter because the Chinese control a port on our coastline within our nation. 
how many buildings do they own within our nation? If you were to see a map with all the red Chinese dots, of course, you would be flabbergasted how much control and influence they have. It goes all the way up to Mitch McConnell, uh, whose wife, her father has direct contact and control within the communist Chinese Communist Party. And, oh, yeah, lo and behold, Mitch McConnell just got a whole fleet of new ships, courtesy of the Communist Chinese Party, for his business that he owns, his, his sea transport business. It, it, gets, it gets so convoluted if you try to unravel it. It's like, you know, um, I, I'm trying to think. You're trying to juggle a thousand and one balls. When you could only handle three at a time, it's you're not going to make it. You know how much do they have control in our pharmacies? You know, I had a bad allergic reaction to an antibiotic that I've taken almost all my life. That I now have to wear a medical alert bracelet. I went into anaphylactic shock and had to be <laughs> triaged. Uh, I'm willing to bet that antibiotic came out of a lab that does not have the same controls that we have here in the United States that is based in China. You know, medical supplies, uh, parts for our Mm. military craft are made Mm. in China. Now, we've got F-35s flying over my house, but how many parts made in China are are in our military equipment flying over my house? Uh, Our cell phones, you go on and on how much they control. They want to control the 5G network that's being unraveled, unrolled. That means that you have access Mm into every every aspect of an individual life. Well, I mean, 5G is something that we uh, we need to have the courage to discuss because it's not, as far as I'm concerned, in my own uh, my own understanding, and I'm not a medical doctor and I'm not a physicist, but it's dangerous. On those high hertz bands, this is dangerous. I mean, that is a subject we we look at. Um, I couldn't agree with you more. This, that's why I say it's, um, it's, you know, this is the art of war. They have declared war stealth by stealth to, uh, to undermine. I mean, we have the same problem here with Huawei. You know, why we're even now thinking we should be rescinding that contract. I mean, our government have turned around and said, well, we're allowing them access but it will be on the outer regions of our telecommunications company, uh, telecommunications. I mean, I don't trust them as far as I can throw them, and what we've seen, and what we've seen now is unacceptable. I mean, if we take a um, other other people have said this. We look at we look at how the regime actually treats its people, and there are there are protests. There have been protests. Um, I believe in regard to pollution and all this kind of thing within China. There is people raising a voice. Someone gave a figure, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Pascal, gave a figure that's saying that either last year or in the last year, there were 750,000 protests. Now, it's interesting to think about how we, you know that information coming out. So there is, there is people trying to have a go at the regime, but we look at, we look at the oppression. We look at the oppression of, of uh, Christians, even though there are many, many Christians uh, within uh, China. Annie, we have been caught off, um, maybe to some extent we've been caught off guard, 
I mean, it was brought to my attention that a, a gentleman called General Spalding has written um, two books he's written. Uh, one is in where he mentions, I think one is Stealth War and Unrestricted Warfare, where he talks about, um, it talks about these issues. The book, book is Stealth War. War. You know, they have been at this in the long in the long term Annie, and we have to look at we have to look at history um and as a christian i believe that we are in the biggest spiritual war of our lifetime things have unfolded that we would never ever have thought of and um there's a control grid i believe that nefarious forces are trying to build um annie what about what about the the whole issue of we need to compare the numbers on both sides of the pond? You know, you've had Tony and Debbie, Fauci and Burke. So Fauci walks into the president's office then um, and goes, two million people are going to die from uh, COVID-19, right? He then turns mm-hmm. around and says, well, actually, it's actually going to be 100,000. Uh, actually, no, it's going to be 80,000. Uh, no, it's going to be down at 60,000. And it wouldn't surprise me that it's only going to be 30,000, which is the kind of thing of a high flu epidemic. And on the 26th of March, in a New England medicine uh, journal, he actually said that. He said that this is going to be no more than a high flu. Now, he sits on, and I, I have to put my uh, cards on the table. I am against. Uh, I am against vaccines. I have had some. I am against them. And now we discover that that man sits on the board of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. It's out there. Um, he has all these links. We need to go through his history, how is how he has conducted himself into the uh, HIV vaccine, um, etc. We then have to look at people like Bill Gates, where nearly half a million uh, people were paralyzed in India because of uh, the polio vaccine, where Bill Gates finding himself on the health board of India. We then have to look at the tetanus vaccine as well. Now, I'm not saying this to be contentious, but the evidence is out there and the evidence of the damage (coughs) that it does to human beings. And this man needs to be held to account because he has thrown the models are wrong and the models over here are wrong. And I'll talk about the fiddle of the, the uh, figures over here as well. Because the models that they have based, the, the foundation of, of literally halting your economy and halting our economy and halting other Western world economies is completely and utterly, I believe, bogus. It's wrong. The figures are wrong. They've said this. So why isn't well, Mark, Fau- you know, why isn't Fauci sent? Well, let's let's bring on Dan Perkins because I didn't realize he's been sitting. He used a different phone number, so he fooled me. He fooled me. Welcome Don't on, mind. Dan Perkins. I did. And you fooled me, and I'm texting you saying call in, and you're already sitting there. <laughs> Good I have been Dan. for uh, 15 minutes. That's okay. I've been listening to the oh. conversation. Um, Shame so, on Shame on. I I wrote I wrote probably early on similar to what you were talking about. I, I questioned the the validity of the models and, and I remember talking to you that I had a problem 
with the initial models, which were done by the Imperial College in London, uh, mm-hmm. because they were predicting 500,000 Brits and 2.2 million Americans. But after further ex, I knew when I was reading that story that something there was in the back of my brain, and I, I had to work at it. And I found out that the Imperial College in London was also one of the early statistical analysis of global warming. And they were a big proponent of global warming. If anything, we have to learn as a, as a nation, we do not put absolute power in the, in the, in the hands of, of clinicians. We, we don't do that because Fauci, by his own admission, knows nothing about economic policy or economics. But if, if we look at, and, and I just wrote a commentary that went out uh, yesterday, um, if we look at the numbers that we were, Mark was talking about, um, maybe it, we've already got 30,000 in the state, so it'll be something, something between 30,000 and 80,000, somewhere there. I don't know what it's going to be. But the point is, it, yes, it's, it's very close to a bad flu season in the United States. And so um, I, I believe part of the fault is with the responsibility of the American media. They mm-hmm. took this, the, the data from the Imperial College of 2.2 million people, and they broadcast it all over the world in their model, and the, the American media ran with it and created what I call the panic in the pandemic. And uh, as a result, uh, politicians felt they had to do something because of this. You know, I would, I would love to be able to go to Johns Hopkins and say, can you give me a map like you've done on COVID-19? COVID-19, can you give me a map of the status of the flu, the annual flu season in the world right now and see what it looks like? And it'll be all over the world, just like we're seeing with COVID-19, only the death rates are going to be much higher. So uh, I'm, I'm glad that at least um, the, the press has come across with, um, if it's possible, even more diminished credibility. They, not only did they deny the science and they denied the statistics, they denied the relationship with China. And, and um, so the president, the, the, the president, again, wins another one in the hearts and the minds of the majority of American people. But I, I, since the last time we talked, I'm, I've been thinking about what I believed happened. And I have a, a new theory. Um, we talked about the last time I was on that Donald Trump had put enormous pressure on the Chinese to come to the trade table and they came and we got phase one, which was a a significant concession because no American president had ever been able to get any kind of concessions. And they supposedly agreed to deal with phase two. Um, They believe they meaning the Chinese, the Chinese communist party believe that since they are in control of their nation and every facet of their nation, they must be ultimately in control of every facet of the world. Uh, all the things that Annie mentioned about all the things that they own, you can take that 
and go straight to the bank on many nations around the world. So I, I looked at the sequence of events, never believed it was, it was accidental in the sense that it came from the, from the wet to the wet market. I didn't believe, never believed that to begin with, but this is my current scenario. They, the lab was supposed to be a level four lab was operating as a level two. Their security was laxed. Uh, somehow this virus that this uh, doctor was working on got out and got into him. He infected his girlfriend and we're off to the races. Now, when that starts to happen and the government is notified, I see two possible paths the Chinese government could have taken. The first path was to quarantine the city of Wuhan and, and, and notify the World Health Organization and the governments around the world what was going on. That's path one. That would be the honorable, appropriate action to have taken. But I think there was a meeting that took place somewhere in Beijing where the leaders of the Communist Party said, wait a minute, if we let this go and get it spread all over the world by sending 5 million people as couriers of this to all over the world, we can bring the world to its knees and we can be in control. So at some point in time, somebody made that suggestion. And at the moment in time that the government decided that they were going to go the cover-up route and spread the virus, the Chinese Communist Party became a terrorist organization because they basically let it go and kept it, kept it under hats, lied about it, misdirected it, everything they could, still haven't admitted that it was their fault but they became a terrorist organization. And a very important message was sent to other terrorist organizations. We no longer need bombs. You know, no. Well, we already knew. What we can use. In- we know that. Hmm? Well, we know that. We know that um, in Iraq, Saddam Hussein was working on biological weaponry. So if they were mm-hmm. doing that in Iraq, knowing that, what would make you think the Chinese wouldn't have a huge hand in that also? Maybe even lending them uh, knowledge and scientists in the interim to help them along the way. So China has had a hand in a lot of terrorist actions throughout the world. And by the very act of them stockpiling personal uh, protection equipment, and holding it off the market, knowing full well that if Log we can't get our first responders. Uh, Welcome to Blog Talk Radio. Please hold and you will be able to listen to the show. What's going on? What's going on? Thank you for using Blog Talk Radio. Goodbye. Hello. Okay. What was that? What was that? I have no idea. I have no idea. Can you hear me? Do we still have Dan? Um, can you? I can hear. I'm, you hear I'm me? still here. I can. I can hear you, honey. Oh, you can hear me. 
Well, yeah, I can I hear you. Is, no Dan, is Dan there? Dan, you with is us? Dan gone. No, I, I see his number. Hang on a second. Let's bring Dan back on. Jeez, what a... We're talking about um, terrorist action. <laughs> talking about terrorist yeah. action. Yeah. Well, let me tell you what. Let me tell you what probably happened. The I'm on. I'm on. <laughs> no, I'm on an island, and I'm coming through my to you through my internet, and uh, we've had a, a reliability problem because not only here but in many places that I've done shows all over the last several weeks, the bandwidth mm-hmm. of the retail side, the consumer side of. of of the internet is really being pressed. And so sometimes things just go haywire and then they fix themselves. So I've had this happen more than once this week. So uh, that's probably what happened. We had an interruption of this. Okay. So what I was saying is that that, that if you look at what's going on, if you look at what's going on, they made a decision that uh, the way to get out from under any further negotiations with the United States or anybody else in the world on trade and to keep control, they released the virus and sat on it and still continue to sit on it with the, with the co-conspirators of members of the democratic party in the American media uh, at a cost of right now, roughly 30,000 American lives and um, lives all over the world. It says that the communist party of China has no moral compass. They will do anything that, that they can. Hmm. Well, I, I don't think that the, the I don't think that I totally agree with that. I, I think that that um, the the history and tradition of the Chinese culture before it became culture became communist was um, duty honor country respect uh, many things that are not present there today. But it really came down. It's come down to a, a function of money, and and understand that one of the, one of the things that I suggest have suggested and continue to try and get people to understand is that, and this is no disrespect to Mark. Okay, this is just me probably puffing out my chest, as I have been <laughs> a student of history. If I've been a student of history. There is no other place in the world like America. And I don't mean, I don't say that as, 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 as uh, bravado. They do not understand. Most of the nations of the world, communist or whatever, do not understand what it means to live and be an American. Because they, none of them have the freedoms and the things, the ability to do. Yeah, we've got our faults. There's no question about that. But look at what this country has done in a very short period of time to mobilize itself to take care of itself and then start to take care of the rest of the world under this emergency. We changed literally on a heartbeat, did things that, that other countries could never do uh, because they, they, the structure was not such as the way they were governed to be able to do that. And so when we have the President of the United States say it's up to the individual the states, individual states to decide when it's time for them to start coming out from under the quarantine and opening up their country. Uh, I, I guarantee you, Mark will tell me that in Brussels, there's nobody willing to make the decision when it's time to come out. 
Because that's too much risk for no, a bureaucrat in Brussels. Mm-hmm. Well, 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 I just want to point out, Mark, you've got a film that you're working on called Flexit. And I watched the promo uh, of it with the, your two friends talking about it. And you and they brought up a very important thing because here Dan is talking about Brussels, meaning the European Union, uh, and Britain has voted itself out of there. Now you're just trying to get the plans on how you're going to actually exit. But the organizations out there that are controlling so many aspects of our lives, such as the World Trade Organization, the World Health Organization, the United Nations, the alphabet soups of thousands of different organizations that funnel actually through Brussels and then to us, the rest of the world, uh, how they've influenced it. Like the World Health Organization held back information that probably could have gotten us fighting this virus a lot earlier than we have, and we find out the head of the World Health Organization is in bed with communist China. So, as I'm saying, you're trying to juggle a thousand and one different balls, and Unless we can we can get a handle on how the flowchart works, we're going to have this problem for generations to come, Mark. Well, yeah, and I'm, I'm going to have to say a few things that may sound uh, extremely uncomfortable. Well, some people will then call me a conspiracy theorist, which I'm not. It was a term caused, uh, created by the CIA. So let's just uh, lay a few things on the table of, of, uh, of truth. So for a start, the European Union is a leg of global governance. That's how it was designed and is in fact, and I can, we have a, we may not have time, but we can go through this. And there's a huge influence by the CIA within that of Alan, Alan Foster Dulles and his uh, various relationships and in regard to the Marshall Plan. But going back to what Dan is saying, I would never have thought that a virus would actually bust up the European Union because suddenly all the countries within this virus, I say this, have suddenly the countries have had to discover that they need borders. Some of them have not shut their borders quick enough, like within France. Italy suddenly wanting a heck of a lot of help from the European Union, and the European Union then not having that help, because there's been a huge row between Macron and Merkel in regard to how that is financially solved because of bonds and all the rest. Now, there's also been massive hashtags of Italians burning the European flag because of the amount of people that they have said have died from this disease. And we then need to talk about some of the forced, 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 um, the the fake uh, uh, death certificates in regard to certain cases and certain numbers. And we need to, to talk about how this particular virus is then tested and all the rest. Um, no, the the uh, European Union has been has been found then to be uh, wanting, and there are a number number of other factors that to me that are that are going on that are actually going on here. I come back to this. China has been in this for the long game. We have to go back to um, historical 1949 when Mao basically was given China. We have to discuss the fact historically that within your State Department, you know, and also within the McCarthy area, yes, communist infiltration. And you had communists and Marxists, Trotskyists, who actually believed in that, and they were within your State Department. I've forgotten the book that reveals that, and also Stefan Molyneux has done a wonderful documentary on that. Why do I bring this up? They've been in this for the stealth game, and the communism is, is a 
you know, it is a religion. That's their religion. They are out. We don't understand the East and how the East functions. And they don't understand then the West on one level. But what they've managed to do is to create, the globalists have managed to create a situation, I've used that word deliberately, where we've then put a vast majority, if not virtually the whole of manufacturing industry, within within a particular country because we want those cheap goods. We have to go back to Kissinger, a total globalist, asking Nixon to then open up China. So we have then looked at vast majority, a lot of companies that have moved, say, from America, then have moved from America to China, a communist country. Maybe some of these companies and, and the people that have made the decision, maybe they need to be prosecuted under the Logan Act. So it goes back to, it goes back to all this of the total infiltration that has gone on over a long, long period of time. They have been in it for the long game. And then suddenly, suddenly, they're flying, you know, medical help around Serbia, Austria, the UK. We are at war with this ideology. And then suddenly the people that we're at battle with are turning around and saying, oh, now we want to come and we actually want to come and help you. We look at how they've actually treated some of their own people, where there's been, you know, sort of comments that um, various Chinese people have witnessed that bodies have been put in body bags, they're still moving, and then they're being thrown into, into uh, fiery furnaces of a morgue. There's all this kind of discussion out there. In regard to the fact that, um, and I know what Dan is saying, maybe 30,000, maybe more, but if we look at our particular figures over here, and it's interesting that he's brought up Ferguson, so Imperial, Imperial College, again, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation invests in supporting various professors, inverted commas, to create vaccines. We have to investigate all of this. So Ferguson goes half a million, quarter of a million, down to 20,000 and maybe 5,900. And then out over here, it's anecdotally, we've got in certain parts of the country, there seems to be hospitals busy. We've built... Um, temporary hospitals and all that where beds are not being used there was a, a temporary hospital built in Washington state they didn't see one patient it's been reported in hospitals in New York that they have been empty even the Elmhurst hospital a friend of mine actually went there and Dan is absolutely right when we look at the press we look at the press taking footage from an Italian hospital putting it on CBS and saying this is the chaos in New York and it was a complete and utter lie. We then look at the fact that they've used a row of coffins as a photograph in Italy, where it was actually a photograph from 2014. There's either been pictures of a couple of people saying that they've actually died, and these people seem to have died in two states. We have a press that is against us. There is, and, the, and I'm not making any of this up either, and I will stand by that. But we have a press that is against us. We have a press that seems to be pro-China, of course, anti-Trump. But the figures were wrong in the first place. For us, over here, Neil Ferguson was, I believe, was the gentleman that advised the government in 2001 in regard to our foot-and-mouth disease. And a lot of farmers had to get rid of their cattle and their sheep. And Dan is absolutely right in regard to how governments need to look at their advisors because this is costing our country 
billion pound a day that we cannot afford. I, inverted commas, can't go out, can't go out to work. This is, I find, outrageous. And people are, um, you know, beginning to have enough of this. And also they are questioning the model. They are questioning who is dying because what's going on in some of our hospitals, and I've had this straight from someone's, a dear friend of mine tonight, who was talking about an aunt of his, and we need to investigate, we find out what she's died of, but if they're turning around and going, oh, she's, di- she's died of COVID-19, uh, excuse me, there are t- in this case, she, I think she's died of cancer. There are other cases where people have had other reasons why they have des- died, whether that's a cancer, etc. There's a serious illness. And because they've got a temperature, they then they use these PCR tests that are not, um, you know, they're not foolproof. And they've said, oh, they've got corona. Now, as I say, I'm not a medical doctor, but there are certain things going on that are profoundly fishy. And the way I look at it, I look at it as the elites, the globalists, the Democrats. This is an incredible way to absolutely attack with China, to attack the economy of your country, and also to have a go at us and other Western countries. Now, you know, this is uncomfortable then to discuss. We need to discuss why various senators or various people in your political field over there suddenly are they uh, they're making money from the fact that they knew there was going to be a crash and all this, and they start pulling all these things out. These people have absolutely appalling links, and they are appalling links with our with our enemies, basically, Annie. And we need to ask absolutely. ourselves some very, very un, uncomfortable questions because your president wrote the book, The Art of the Deal, which is talking about the art of war, and he knows exactly what is going on. Absolutely. Now, you you said you have to look to see who the advisors are. Now, the lab in Wuhan, uh, George Soros has a financial interest in that lab, as well as the Gates family. Yes, he does. Believe it or not, George Soros, prior to this breakout, had made a prediction, and I spoke about this, I don't know if it was six months ago or, or longer, but he said just before the presidential election, there is going to be a financial crisis in the United States. He made this prediction, and lo and behold, just a couple of months later, we have this major Wuhan virus outbreak coming out of China. And who has a large influence in China? Bloomberg, Soros, Gates. Mm -hmm. Who has a lot of influence in these uh, medical labs that produce the medicines and protective equipment? Gates, Soros. Bloomberg, and what news media made a deliberate attempt to stifle the news about China's involvement in this whole terrorist attack, whatever way, there's no other way to explain it, but Bloomberg's news media controlled that story. And you had mentioned the Daily Mail, Mm -hmm. which I found out recently has direct interest in China. China controls a lot of what goes into the Daily Mail. And I was surprised that they broke the uh, information about the Wuhan. You know, if you look at the connections now, and today I was walking through the room and Fox News had it about the drug maker Gilead, about this new, um, but actually it's not new, the, what, I'm going to mispronounce this, Remdesivir. It's some sort of a drug that has had great uh, uh, 
effect on things such as Ebola and other corona-type viruses, and they had applied for a special FDA uh, thing where they could have exclusive use and say who gets it and who doesn't. Now all of a sudden, it's like, oh my goodness, there is something to help with this virus, but heck, I knew about this this cure out of Gilead Labs a month and a half ago, and now finally mainstream media tests, but who controls Gilead Labs? China. So everything comes well, back to China, mm-hmm. and as both mm-hmm. you and Dan are saying, this is a terrorist attack, a global mm-hmm. terrorist attack. And Annie, I, I'd like to say that in 2017, Fauci said that the Trump administration would be um, having to face a pandemic. How did he know that? In 2017, under where, under the Obama uh, regime, the regime administration, slip of the tongue, that um, the hydrochloroquine, he said, oh, that was perfectly sensible to use in regard to MERS or SERS at that time, I think, to, you know, I mean, um, these things also have to be said. This is extremely, extremely, uh, extremely nefarious. And of course, as you quite rightly say, that Bill Gates' connections with China, with with the WHO uh, organization, with the supporter of the support of the guy that um, actually uh, runs that. And I'm very pleased that President Trump has turned around and said, no, we need to stop financing the WHO. I understand over here that the UK government is um, has just given £200 million of uh, my taxes to the WHO and said, oh, it needs re- restructuring. You know, I'm sorry, this is the long, this is the long game. And there are other things, as you talk about in in regard to Big Pharma, the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, a wonderful woman you need to get on here onto your show is uh, is Judy Mikovic, Dr. Judy Mikovic, who was uh, ridiculed by the CDC and had her career ruined, but who's someone who turned around and questioned vaccines. Um, um, Sherry Tempenny is another excellent woman that um, needs to be great if you could get her on as well. Um, because... If you go back, we talk about the flu. Um, We go back to this. We go back to uh, the fact that people want to push a flu vaccine because this is how Big Pharma makes money. And all fiddling all these figures. I mean, I I don't have certain things to hand right now, but an incredible woman called Amazing Polly has been doing excellent videos on all these subjects over the last uh, few weeks and had step-by-step step gone through how flu virus figures are fiddled, are pushed, because at the end of the day, for big pharma, unless they're churning out vaccines, then they're not going to make any money. And this, of course, to some, is profoundly, um, is, uh, profoundly controversial. Now, we are now, this is also a civil liberty issue, and this is what concerns me even more. Because if we turn around where Bill Gates is, is, is saying this, he's said it publicly. We've even had, um, we've had politicians like Tony Blair and Gordon Brown. It's out there going, well, maybe we need, to, we need to have a one world government, even if temporarily, to look at this. And Bill, Ga- Bill, Bill Gates going on about, well, we, we might have to have some kind of vaccine card to see who is, um, who is not testing positive for this. And then we roll out this vaccine. And then over here... We've got uh, our health minister. He's been on about this for a number of months. 
you know, are we going to make mandatory vaccines for people, for children going to school and all this kind of thing? And suddenly we're rushing through a vaccine, which I profoundly disagree with, period. And also, is it tested? We put in legislation that means that if the vaccine is faulty and it hurts whoever has had that vaccine, then you can't sue people. We are looking at, there is a case in regard to in regard to the whole um, mouse scandal and various vaccines at that time, that uh, the British government are being sued for for, uh, £60 million. There's a case going on in regard to that at the moment. I'll try and get some details out. I mean, all of this, I'm sorry, I make no apologies for this. This is evil, and this is nefarious, and we are in a spiritual battle, and people are trying to push all sorts of things. And I do, you know, I'm... uh, could get people heavily criticizing me for this but i'd say the whole issue of uh, 5g and the rollout that's going on also needs to be looked at in regards to an incredible guy called arthur Furstenberg and all of his work in this area and some people go oh for crying out loud what are you going on about now a certain technology rolls out so there are factors here there is a weapon okay even I have to accept that something has been released there. There's a rollout of technology. There is vaccinations going on. There is the fact that our immunity in America over here, our human immunity is being attacked as well, in whether that's within the water supply, in the, in the food, in the air. No, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. We go through that in regard to GMO and all this kind of thing. Um, so it is a full frontal attack in so many different ways on us. And all of this, and as much as it's uncomfortable and people may disagree, that's fine. But but we need to look at this very, very seriously. You know, Dan, I, I, I've spoken about this on the show. I've always questioned why is it autism is so high in the United States compared to any other nation? And why is it at to this date when we do create a vaccine, we still use eggs? Europe hasn't been using eggs for, gener- or, I don't know, more than 20 years. And yet we have a high incidence of autism here that you don't see anywhere else in the world. And yet we've got the best health care in the world. So when we tie all of these assaults, whether it's from uh, manufacturing going over to China or China's influence in our nation and our very politics, our college, uh, how they influence our colleges, even in our public schools with the um, Confucius academies, you know, how they have influenced our nation in so many insidious ways. I, I love using that word with them because there's no other way to describe them. And now what we're going through, the assaults on our liberties, where you have certain states telling you, oh, when you go, you could only buy essential items. And I'm going to tell you what is essential. So now you're stuck at home and your gray hair is starting to show. Buying the hair dye is not essential. Uh, Buying the extra pair of socks is not essential. Uh, You can only walk out with one roll of toilet paper or one roll of paper towels. They're telling you what you can and cannot buy. You cannot buy guns. You cannot buy cigars, but you can buy pot. Um, You cannot go fishing even though you're out there on the boat by yourself. What they are doing to our lives and to our liberties here 
is absolutely phenomenal. And I think Mark has it dead on. It's been a nonstop assault on American freedom and independence. Well, I would agree with that. I think the, 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 uh, the, re, the revolt in Michigan where 10,000 cars came onto the state capitol to complain about opening up the government and the stupid things that the governor was, you can't buy baby seats and you can't buy paint cans and you, all the things that you can't buy. And uh, ultimately she had to, <clears throat> she had to back off. One, one of the challenges I understand and can appreciate why Mr. Trump wanted to put the decision-making as to when a city, county, or state was going to open up at the local basis because they have a much better feel for what's going on in their community than the central government has. But when you do that, you create an opportunity for the bureaucracy and the stupidity and the ineptness of local politicians to make these kinds of decisions, and that's what's happened when you get the governor of, of Michigan making these stupid proclamations, or uh, a, a man is being arrested and the only person on the lake in a boat in Virginia. I mean, just on and on and on examples of of people who have seized the opportunity for power, abuse that power, and are trying to hold on to it by keeping things under their control for as long as possible, as opposed to trying moving to get things opened up again. And I see that happening. And so what, what if it, if it goes poorly in X, Y, Z state president isn't going to be blamed for it because he gave the responsibility for the implementation of the opening to the local officials. If the local you know, officials I, I, can't function, they're going to take it back. Well, I had a conversation with my cousin. She lives in New Jersey, and she happens to be a nurse. Uh, and and we were discussing the ludicrous broadcast we I've been seeing coming out of Governor Cuomo in New York. And my husband and I, mm-hmm. if it wasn't the fact that it was such such a serious issue, when he stood sat there in front of the camera talking about the need for ventilators, and he had this hand mask that hospitals use in emergency rooms that you have to squeeze to pump to get oxygen into the lungs. Well, we can't get ventilators, so we're going to have to get hire people to stand over the patient and pump air into them using this mask. And my husband and I started to fall out of our Archie Bunker chairs laughing at how idiotic he looked, and now he's put out the edict that as we are peaking from the virus and things are starting to open up, he's making greater restrictions on New Yorkers by mandating that if they step outside, they must wear a mask. And we were discussing why is it New York got hit so hard? It's because of what Mayor de Blasio did by shutting down mass transit and limiting the number of buses and trains, thus forcing people to violate safe space and sit on top of one each other and cram into the few resources he left open. So he, he left them open for first responders and medical personnel to get back and forth to their jobs, but he also made it easier for the virus to spread. 
And when I looked at the numbers in New York State, where is the biggest concentration? New York City, Westchester, and Nassau County, which sits on the opposite side of New York City. They touch New York City. So, of course, a lot of people going into work, which are the medical staff and first responders, are being funneled into areas that are going to have high concentration. So they cause their own problem by not being smart like other states have done. So, you know, it, when, we, when we look at our elected officials and then rely upon them to make a wise decision, it reminds me of a bumper sticker that I saw yesterday that made me crack up. It's like politicians are like dirty diapers. They need to be changed <laughs> all the time, and they're both full of, you know what I'm going to say next. Mm, mm, mm. Well, what about, Annie, what about the fact that it's come out that, you know, insurance-wise, that hospitals for each patient that they're saying has got corona, they get $13,000, and for each patient that they yeah. put on, um, uh, on a pump, they're getting $39,000. Now, if yeah. the, uh, I mean, I'm going to come, I'm going to come back to that. I mean, Cuomo, because of his his politics, um, all right. I'm I'm actually going to tell people to have a mask. I'm going to tell people not to go out there. I'm going to say this to you, really, and I will try and help you with this uh, to get Dr. Shiva on here and have a discussion. I'm not going to go there because I'm not a, me- a medical. Uh, I'm not a doctor. But to have a discussion about the definition of a virus and how a virus is actually is actually uh, spread. If we turn around and we look at what China then has released out of the Wuhan laboratory, we then have to say that that's a all right. We accept that there's a bio weapon there of some kind. Something has been released. But in regard to how you then spread a virus, now over here, over here, I'm, I'm going to go there. Let's go there. Um, and uh, maybe other will end up upsetting uh, people. But there is a concern, and there's a concern I have. So over here, um, our press has gone, you cannot discuss, you cannot discuss um, 5G or anything like that. You cannot link 5G with coronavirus, with the spread of, with the spread of a virus. We can't do, we can't do any of that. We are now seeing the fact that within Facebook and other social media, anyone that talks about that subject, um, no, 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 we can't do that. We're going to have to censor you. Now, Wuhan is a very 5G uh, orientated city. We then have to go back to the fact that last August, China then is pushing through all the legislation of mandatory vaccinations within its society. And I understand that within... uh, think within December that they started doing that and vaccinating uh, people and vaccinating people in in regard to Wuhan and all the rest. Now 5G, if you turn 5G on, what it then affects you as a human is that the waves, the short waves that it vibrates, then affects the oxygen molecules that then stop the oxygen molecules then adhering to hemoglobin. And I'm not a doctor. But basically, in regard to you then being able to breathe, that, doesn't, that has a very negative effect against there. And then what happens is, is that you are then showing signs as if you've got altitude sickness. Now, that sometimes can be, look as though it's looking like a flu epidemic as well. 
Now, before various people go, you conspiracy theorist nutbag, some of this technology, and we have this over here, because even within this lockdown, there are reports that people are going round installing this uh, 5G when people are supposed to be in lockdown. I've also had anecdotal comments in regard to that in, in, uh, in Texas, in Dallas to be precise. There are other comments from certain friends of mine in Canada along those lines. So all of these factors, including vaccinations, have to be thrown into this. Because at the end of the day, when you have people like um, Bill Gates standing up in a TED Talk in 2015, whether people are going to actually change those various words, he's then talking about depopulation. He's then talking about bringing the population of the world down and using vaccines to then control that. If you then give out a polio virus, sorry, a polio virus through a vaccine then that has uh, paralyzed half a million people in India, what else has this man been up to? He's already been able to work out how to spread viruses on computers He's already worked that out, has this mindset, has a messiah complex, right? No one's even questioning when he's speaking. He's given a platform. Is anyone actually saying to him, why are you? Why can we not discuss why were you on the Lolita Express? What about your relationship with Epstein? I'm sorry, but all of these factors have to be out there, and the press is covering all of this up. It's not asking questions and you're right Annie you're right in regard to how much money how much of the Chinese actually own the media companies on your side of the pond in regard to owning the Daily Mail that's a new one to me and I need to I need to look into that I really need to look into that but our but our media six corporations own all the media on your side of the pond you know um there is no there is no real reporting except for certain uh, certain independent stage independent uh, groups i mean whether you you know we've got the brilliant epoch times and we've got other avenues that are being censored so there are a lot of annie you've said it there are a lot of factors going on but the bottom line is is that we are we are at war i mean i've heard this anecdotally when the chinese come over here for a visit, a state visit, or a trade delegation or whatever, and they're having a chat with civil servants, and they're going through civil servants' offices. You've got to make sure that there's no bugs there that they've left behind, and you check before and you check afterwards. We know how much technology that they actually steal, Annie. We're fully aware of that, and I think we have let them, uh, we've let them uh, get away with that. We've never seriously questioned them. And you're right. And, and Dan is right when you say President Trump starts sorting out the tariff barriers. Things were changing. And because at the end of the day, the Chinese economy, if that becomes completely, if that goes off the rails, then the Chinese Communist Party are not in charge anymore. And they have a long, long history of actually starving their own people, whether they're shooting birds out of the sky and all this kind of thing. They actually have a long history of actually starving and shooting their people. So that has to be put on the table as well. 
you know, you have to well, ask yourself also. Oh, I was just going to ask, what happened to the protests in Hong Kong? That suddenly went silent as soon as this virus outbreak happened. Isn't that a little strange, Dan? Yeah, yeah and the yellow and the I, yellow I, vest I, in France. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Dan. That's okay. No, that's fine. Uh, I mean, you you can you can equate that one to the other, and and quasi suggest that uh, I don't think that that was the reason why the Chinese would necessarily have spread the virus. Um, I don't think they're that good as to say, well, we could do everything but, or we can we could drop it so that it would affect Hong Kong but it wouldn't affect uh, Singapore or other places. I mean, it's, it's not, it's, it, it can't be that precise. Uh, you've got, um, you've got a, you've got a situation where the, the spread of the virus, uh, it's very difficult. I mean, what w- we haven't talked about, and we don't have to if you don't want to, but I just want to raise the question. What we haven't talked about is how did it get, not out of the lab, how did it get out into the world? We haven't talked about the Chinese New Year, where 5 million people came to China yep. to celebrate oh, yeah. the New Year with their families and then left and probably were yep. contaminated. And that's how they spread spread it all over the world, including the United States. And um, and so we haven't talked about, again, was that a decision? Was that a decision after the fact that, hey, here's an opportunity. If we're going to go after the world, we can, th- these are our terrorists, and they're, un- they're un- unknowing and unwilling terrorists. They're just spreading the, spreading the germs all over the world. I, I, I just think that, that um, if I look at it from an economic standpoint, the, the GDP for the first quarter for China was down almost 7%. And uh, that just came out this morning. Um, 7%. I mean, it meant from an annualized plus 65 in the fourth quarter of 2019 to down north of six negative GDP in the first quarter of 2020. Um where the risk is, is that as we, as a world, begin to realize how much we are dependent on the Chinese for pharmaceuticals and things yet unnamed, the first thing we have to do is the president needs to appoint a cabinet-level task force to look at the supply chain and look at how many industries across the United States are dominated by supplies coming from, the, from China. We need we we got to assess the risk, and once we assess the risk, then we can start bringing businesses back to the United States. And what's going to happen is that the middle class in China, who has reaped the greatest harvest of wealth of this economic expansion of China for the last 40 years, has the greatest amount to lose. They are not pure communists; they are capitalists who live in a communist society and have figured out how to how to how to milk money out of the communist society. I think as the United States and the rest of the world begins to move 
the supply chain away from China. We're going to have it. Well, you know, Dan, uh, Mark had mentioned earlier General Spaulding and his book about China, which I've read and I had General Spaulding on the show uh, in the past. Um, He points out a very important fact is that goods coming out of China to the United States, there's only two inspectors in all of China. They are not allowed to look at the containers that hold the merchandise or whatever it is they're shipping to the United States and to actually physically inspect it. They are given a clipboard. They are told to sign the clipboard. The container goes onto the vessel or into the airplane, sent to the United States. They are not inspected as they land here. I mean, 9-11 report said we should be inspecting every single container that lands in any airport or seaport, and we're not doing that. We're barely even inspecting 10% of what comes into the country. So we have no idea what they are Mm -hmm. shipping over here and what it contains. So, you know, China has used their influence to affect our lives, not just on a national scale, but our very daily lives. And like I said, uh, I'm questioning whether or not I had the allergic reaction to a medication because it was manufactured in China. They may have put something in there that I'm allergic to, but this is a medication I've taken all my life. And yet I went into full anaphylactic shock. And it was not a pretty sight. <laughs> I mean, my lips were out further than my nose. <laughs> I don't have a big nose. But uh, we have to think about what we use every single day and where it's manufactured in. And if it's coming out of China, we're going to have a huge, huge problem. How many manufacturing jobs have we lost? And when you look at what you buy on eBay or Amazon, how many things that you are buying that are actually knockoffs of someone else's project? product, but is coming out of China. I mean, I've cut to the point where if I see something I want on eBay, I look to see where it's being sent from. If it's coming from China, I'm back mm-hmm. away. I'll pay a higher price for that item. But I'm not going to buy anything from China. How many items is Walmart selling coming out of China? We don't know. Big. We don't know the Big full And the Confucius schools were finally starting to shut those down that were influencing our elementary school kids up through high school. How much influence do they have in our college education? And how much do they control there? And well, you, I mentioned think, I mean, yeah. you mentioned the Chinese New Year, and as I mentioned, I had friends over there. They had traveled for the Chinese New Year to visit friends and spend with the family. Mm. So I know that all of China... <laughs> travels during the Chinese New Year, which is a month-long celebration. And we're finding out that 430,000 people flew from China after Trump said we're cutting off any flights or any people coming in from China. That's almost half a million people still flew into the United States from China after the cutoff date. So you are so right. It is an army of people that they unleashed upon the United States, and the rest of the world to control it. Well, if you, if you then take yeah. Italy and you, take it, you then look at Italy and uh, the amount of uh, Chinese infiltration in their industry there, in, in the northern part of Italy, Milan, etc., and the number, of con- the number of businesses that they, be- that they own, and then turning around, as Dan has pointed out, okay, 
we send a hundred we we send our workers in there um and that could be about a hundred thousand Chinese that have gone over there um mm-hmm. i don't i don't know i don't know if you know about this, but you also need to look into another event event two o one in New York that happened last october mr gates is uh is is all over that one where they actually had a live event a live exercise of how it would look like a rolling out if there was a pandemic that went across the world again i say don't take my word for it go and do the research in regard to that in regard to your manufacturing absolutely right annie i'm horrified to hear what you've been through and i'm glad that you are through the other side and well but but as a nation you cannot turn around and go, well, I have 80%. I mean, I don't want people having to use pharmaceuticals. We don't want people's health in that situation to have to use them. But if they're having to, the manufacturing should not then be, 80% of it should not be in China. You're absolutely right. You do not know the quality the quality of that, etc., and of the goods uh, coming in. So when the president has gone, we need to bring back manufacturing goods manufacturing factories back to america that that is a very very good thing but globalism has meant that people have taken their manufacturing base and sent it out and it ends up within china and yes we're going to have to make a decision americans are going to have to make a decision over here we're going to have to make a decision which means that we're going to pay more for our goods and then we're going to realize that this particular T-shirt that we might want is not going to be $5. We're going to have to pay $10 for it. And actually, it should be manufactured within, within your country. That is one way, of course, to defeat, to defeat communism. And Dan has made a very, very good and correct point in regard to the middle class in China who have, done, who have financially have done very, very well but they're living in this sort of communist, this communist regime. I mean, there's also been the equivalent of top businessmen there, and I can't think of the guy's name off the top of my head right now, who has, who has uh, criticized the leader of China and has criticized the leader of China in, to, in regard to this uh, epidemic and what is going on. And then suddenly this person has disappeared, like others. There was that Dr. Lee at the beginning of the year, who was uh, trying to bring the whole regime to account and criticise them, and so were other whistleblowers. And then, in regard to Dr. Lee's case, the regime said, you know, you're coming out with un-Chinese comments, and you have to apologise for that, etc., and rescind all that. And the man man lost his life because he was actually trying to warn warn people of what what is going on. We're not... We're dealing Mm -hmm. with... An, an evil satanic regime, and that is communism. Um, and that is what we're dealing with. And as I say, they are, at, they are at war. And going back to when you were saying about flights, Annie, it's interesting because Canada, I still think there's... I'm not sure whether the flights from China have actually stopped going into Canada, to be honest. Very, very slow to do that, if at all. And, of course, POTUS took a tremendous amount of criticism because he actually said we need to stop these flights, including from Europe, which saddened me, but I, I understand why he did it. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. It, it is, 
it is so much to think about when you're looking at this and you start to break down the situation that what led all up to this and how long it's been going on. But I'm going to throw a little curve at the two of you. How much the Jezebel mm-hmm. spirit has been using this pandemic to manipulate everyone. You know, you look at Nancy Pelosi alone. And every time I see her face, I hear the song Jezebel in my head. Um, I mean, at the start of the show, I talked about someone I ran into earlier this week. And the moment she smiled and this woman was being evil, I mean, being just pure evil, Jezebel is what came through my mind. But how much the Jezebel spirit is now taking this situation and utilizing it to the utmost. It is the classic example, as as we talked about the last time, before I even brought up the concept of the Jezebel. What we have is is the classic confrontation of good versus evil. And 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 our country has been divided into those two camps. Uh, we call it. Some people call it political differences. No, it's not political differences. It's good versus evil. And I believe that 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 this is a titanic struggle, and this virus is part of that struggle, good versus evil. But I think that that um, it is it is a problem that people are really reluctant to even talk about it that it might exist. And in reality, I believe it does exist. And I, I look at, you know, when, when you can, you can only, uh, that's, a, that's a little, a little strong, but I am going to say it anyway. If you look at, the way the Chinese have covered up what has happened and continue to d- disavow what has happened, and the way that the American media has supported what the Chinese did, um, you can only come to a conclusion, I believe, that that's a pure representation of evil. And uh, the fact that we have people who are trying to say that that uh, Trump is wrong, or the administration is wrong. Um, it, it's amazing to me, just to give you two, two examples. When Donald Trump made the decision early on to suspend flights from China, Joe Biden, who is the presumptive nominee for the Democratic Party, said that Donald Trump was a racist and he was a xenophobe for doing that. A racist and a xenophobe. Now, that is the, that is the, the Democratic moniker. When somebody does something that they don't agree with, it immediately to them is classified as racism and some kind of xenophobia. Something anti-women, anti-gays, anti-blacks, whatever it is, so that they have to put the two together. It's racist and it's this. Um, so the idea that they're, they're saying that this issue is a racist issue and, and their, their willingness to ignore the facts and, and, and claim 
that this this is this is not true that the Chinese are not the bad people on and on and on is an example of of this issue of good and evil. Evil has become so blinded with its passion it can't see when it's making a mistake. The second piece is the uh usually when you have evil at play, evil has no moral compass. Evil does whatever it wants to do to try and accomplish. And here we have Joe Biden. You notice I said the presumptive nominee. We have Joe Biden being accused of a sexual assault in a, in a, in a police report, which not only she, he has denied, but the mainstream media is not accepting the idea that he could be guilty. And so they're not supporting the right of the woman to be able to come forward, at least not yet, and deal with what Mr. Biden purportedly had done. I I am not convinced yet that the American people are going to let that slide. And because of that, this is another example of evil at work to trying to distract and convince the American people that this evil deed was not, in fact, ever done. I'm, I still believe there's a possibility that Joe Biden doesn't escape this and doesn't become the nominee. You know, I've, I've had a theory similar to that where I said that when they have their convention they're going to bring someone else up onto the floor and nominate that individual. And I had been uh, wondering whether or not they were going to bring Cuomo. That was my candidate that I thought they would try to bring forward. And and I'm wondering if that's also why mainstream media gives him so much playtime during this coronavirus. I mean, this is affecting the rest of the nation, but all you see up there is Cuomo. Nonstop. Well, that, well, that that's partly. That, yeah, that's partly because his brother works for CNN. I mean, look at look at all the interactions of people who are married to so and so, and all these relationships that within that are uh, that are within media. If I can just jump in, I mean, we I, I don't apologize sure. for this, and we look at we look at Ephesians six. We are. Uh, we are in a massive spiritual war. We are seeing the build of a control grid. Within China, if you look at China, where they've got face, facial recognition, on, etc., they have a social screen, a scheme that says if you are a good, a good citizen, then you can fly, then you can use transport, then you can go here, then you can go there, okay, they are regularly being able to look at facial recognition. You've got a, um, in certain uh, all this kind of technology that they have out there. They are also have a control grid that is built, so it means that they can identify who has had vaccines and who hasn't. And we have people like Bill Gates who are saying this kind of thing. We've said, people, I want a temporary world government and all this. This is totally and utterly evil and satanic, and Dan is absolutely right. We are at war. This is a battle between good and evil. And the bottom line is is that your piece of paper written in September 
1787, which is that your constitution stands in the way of global tyranny. Rupert Darwell, who wrote the brilliant book called Green Tyranny, he, he laid that out in a preface again. I remember reading that recently. This is why this is important, because the far left, and it is satanic, because it's without God creating an atheistic, humanistic construct and society, doesn't, doesn't believe in, in, uh, in uh, a simple man, doesn't want God, doesn't want us to have an individual relationship with God, reaching our full potential with all the gifts and the talents that we have. And your constitution stands in the way of that, where these people wish to build a global utopian tyranny. That is what they want in regard to totalitarianism. We are looking at the film 1984 in reality, where people are more consumed within younger generations and older generations, yes, within the screen, within this digital age, within turning around and going, well, do you know what? The reason why I want 5G, etc., is because I want my latest Netflix film to actually be downloaded in two and a half seconds instead of waiting for two and a half minutes. The whole, this whole dif- different definition of the world. And suddenly, they have shut down churches. They've said to people, right, we want you to go in your homes and imprison you in your homes. And that is what is, if we say it, talking about the Constitution of the States, that is what they have actually done, which is totally against your civil rights. Because at one point, the President of the United States and over here with Boris Johnson, they were talking about herd immunity, which Melinda Gates has then undermined. Of course she's going to undermine that. It suits her. You see, these vaccines make a heck of a lot of money for them. And that's the other thing that, of course, that constantly needs to be addressed. But at one point, the president was they were going to go, we'll have herd immunity. And actually, the way that this should have been handled was to turn around and say, if people are vulnerable people, please stay in your homes. If you are real, if you're not feeling very well, then please stay in your home. And the rest of us carry on and go to work. Because the bottom line is, if you wreck the economy of the Western nations, if you then bring in universal income, you're bringing in socialism, you're bringing in statism, you're bringing in this control, and this is what's happening on both sides of the pond. I supposedly voted for a conservative government last uh, last uh, December, on December the 12th, and a government that was going to get us fully out of the EU, and on January the 31st, we actually left... And then we have to negotiate a trade deal by December. And we're going to do that. And we're not going to extend it. But the way our government is carrying on, the fiscal policies are of, are of a socialist country. The same for you. Your Democrats, as you know, Nancy Pelosi, yep, evil. The fact that there is this $2 trillion deal, how, mu- how much money that they're helicoptering in is actually going to help, you know, Main Street America. And one particular Democrat senator or congressman turned around and said well this is our opportunity to put through what we want which values that we believe in and they don't believe Mm -hmm. in america they don't believe in the constitution at all and they do not believe as far as i'm concerned whatever they say in god 
sorry, let's just go there and controversially say that in the Christian God and in the way that what your country is actually founded on. And people, I'm glad to say, I'm glad to see that 10,000, 15,000 cars or whatever went out in Michigan. This needs to happen all over the place in America. And it needs to happen here. And, it, and in some ways, it's was, already started. Yeah, well, yeah, I don't know about in England, but, but uh, I know that there's, uh, there was a lot of commentary today that um, thank you to the people of Michigan because we're going to expect to see more and more of these protests around the country if we don't move, if we don't move fast enough. And I, and I agree. And, and, and I think that the American people by and large have done a wonderful job of trying to help everybody get through this, but enough is enough. And we have to, we have to, we have to get our economy back and we have to be able to help people and if we've got people like the elderly who've got conditions, they need to stay home, but they need to be taken care of, provided for food and medical care. And the rest of us who are healthy enough and can go to work should go out and go to work and start rebuilding this economy. I, there was some, if you listen to the, the, even on Fox News, if you listen to Fox News yesterday, when the new jobless claims number came out and it was 5.2 million, um, the the adjectives they use were were just terrible. Uh, 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 they were inflammatory, you know, uh, disastrous. The greatest since the Great Recession or the, or the Great Depression. Uh, what are we going to do? And they talk about 22 million jobs lost. Well. First of all, the um, the number was expected to be six million. It's five point two. So the modelers again missed it by eight hundred thousand. Other modelers are, were saying, uh, as as early as this week, that the unemployment rate in the United States will reach forty three percent by the end of April. Um, and uh, it got widespread attention, 43%. It was inflammatory. It was outrageous um, and not, not likely to happen at all. But we've got 22 million people. But what I've been saying to people is, wait a minute, stop for just a moment. We've got 22 million people who have filed for unemployment claims, and there was an adjustment made in the amount of money that people could get for unemployment for the first four and a half months, which was an attempt to try and get them close to what they were earning at their full-time jobs. Four and a half months. The 22 million jobs did not go away. 22 million people may have been laid off or they may have been fired. Some of them may have been fired. But as we begin to reopen the company and the country, the company's going to need people, so I would expect to see a start of a decline as we open up in the unemployment numbers. That doesn't fit the model, though, because it's not scary enough. And so now, um, we've got the – go ahead. What I was going to say, I, I had to run some errands yesterday, and my husband also, so we went two different directions. But, you know, we both came home and said, you know what? There's more people in the stores and on the streets. People are starting to say individually on their own, enough is enough. Let's get our life back to normal. 
And then today I heard someone right. on the news say it's about time that these small business owners start going back, ignoring the demand that they stay closed, start opening their businesses back up. If, if people start to do that in mass. How is any governor going to be able to enforce their mandate? They won't be able to. They won't have right. enough people to shut them back down. Right. So, you know, it, right. people on their own are starting to say enough. And I think Michigan was the first public demand for action. And I know with Trump, with his, what he said today, let's start phasing things back and getting our lives back to normal. And someone else is going, oh, this is going to right. take 18 months. Oh, I think we can do it within a month and have everything back up and running normal. But people need their jobs. You know, enough. My sister does um, family law, and she's in high demand doing radio and TV interviews because of the rise of domestic violence. People are shut in. And what's going to happen when you're not accustomed to standing and living with your wife 24 hours? You know, there are going to be fights. I mean, that first week everyone yep. shut in, I heard nothing but police sirens. People going back and forth because they weren't accustomed to living with each other 24-7. Mm-hmm. Right, right. No, you're absolutely right. And, and, it, and it's, it just continues. Um, so we, we have been patient. The president asked us to wait 15 days, and we pretty much honored the 15 days, and then they extended it. But as we start to see the numbers come down, both in the forecasts and the actual numbers come down, um, America began to say, hey, we've done our part. Let's go. And um, the government is, is, is Donald Trump is saying to the, to the people, you got to do this. And, um, and, and the governors and the mayors and the city councils and everybody else who's made the decisions to close all this stuff are going to be now faced with the responsibility of making a decision about are they going to allow things to start open again? And as you said, on the other hand, do they have the resources if people start coming back and opening their businesses, do they have the resources to shut them down? Um, I, 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 I don't think they do. I think you're right. My question is this, though. So, the next time... Well, we have learned a lesson, you know, in other words, have we learned not to shut the economy down? Because, I mean, there are some who speculate that this uh, virus may come around again in eight to ten years. But I don't know whether it'll come back in eight to ten years. People are talking about will it come back this fall. Uh, Remember, everybody, everybody who gets the virus and survives builds an immunity. immunity. So the impact there, there's, there's, I'm, I'm making an aggressively bold statement here. There's, there, there's no way if this virus comes back again this fall, that it will never, that will have the magnitude and the scale that it has now because we were virgin when they came, when it came here, we will not be virgin in the fall, regardless of, how many people get sick and, and, and how many immunities and all the things and the drugs that will be developed uh, going forward to deal with it. Um, but I, uh, that doesn't mean there can't be another one created. And, and that's, this is a, 
a, a terrible opportunity and an opportunity for me to plug my my book. Uh, but I've, I've been doing a lot of I've been doing a lot of interviews about terrorist gold and the uh, the uh, Mars attack uh, Mars attack by terrorists against the United States and how closely it models what's what's going on. But anyway, I, 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 viruses are going to be around with us forever, and uh, and one of the things that I do like about the things that are being talked about and tested today is that they the the strains of medications that they're working on uh, are designed to stop the ability of the virus to multiply and so it interferes with the system within the virus that requires whatever it requires to increase and multiply the the some of the drugs that are being looked at stop that from happening and that does and that's not just specific to covid-19 it's specific to the kind of the virus that we're talking about and that's why uh the thing that's going to happen is uh i think that the the medications that we're going to develop are going to give us greater immunity to different kinds of threats going forward but you never know what what uh, Mother Nature or what man could do. No, but matter of fact, I think, I think it was Mark you mentioned earlier what makes America so unique and why we were able to react so fast. That's something my husband and I had discussed because it used to be when you come out with a new drug and you go to test it you know, for a certain condition, it would take years of development, years of testing, and then years to get the FDA to approve it. What we've seen taking right. possibly a decade or more is now being done not in months, not in years, months, not even in weeks, but it's being done in days. You've got doctors out there being so very innovative, trying stuff without waiting for the FDA to say, well, you can't do that because we're not approving that treatment. Doctors are going to heck with you. I'm going to do what I can mm-hmm. to save this patient and to relieve their condition. They're, people are thinking mm-hmm. outside the box, which makes America so unique. We have the ability to think and act outside the box, which you won't find in a tyranny. We've seen innovation suppressed throughout Europe and Asia because they don't, you mm-hmm. want people to conform, and Americans don't like to conform. And I, I think Dan well, and absolutely. Mark have been saying the same thing. Go ahead, Mark. Well, I mean, Dan. I mean, uh, Dan was talking about that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna put, you know, I will put my uh, cards on the table. Anyone that comes at me with a vaccine, no way. Thank you very much. And you just said about done in days. We don't know what is in that vaccine, and I am not going near that, especially when tons of evidence in regard to using uh, fetal tissue and all this kind of thing. That's not conspiratorial. People go and do go and do the research when when they are trying to produce these vaccines and the damage that's the, the damage that's been done. There's an important thing here for me, because over here, if we as a government start to say we're suddenly rolling this out, we want everyone to have it, and then if I, within my own right, to turn around and say, well, sorry, this is my body, um, I am not having you inject anything in me, and then suddenly 
you know, various people around me can say, well, you haven't had a virus. That means you haven't had the vaccine. It means you can't work. We don't want to talk to you. We don't want to near you. You're putting our life at risk. No, that's why I say, please. Um, and I would like to raise that and look up any of Dr. Shiva's work and this whole definition of germ theory and how and how you actually catch a virus. And as I have alluded to in regard to other technology, and um, this is really, really important. And to look at all of this, we have got there are some huge civil rights issues here. If I come down to the fact that it would be like, right, I need to fly over to your nation and people are saying, well, you can't do that because you haven't had this vaccine. And I go, no, thank you. We have now we have got the civil liberties. The fact that, uh, as uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. Has, has pointed out in regard to vaccines and also pointed out that uh, suddenly someone like Bill Gates, you know, would love it, where he's putting money into some kind of tracker system. That is what China has. China has the technology to track who has had it and who it has not. So suddenly, that's why uh, the president is, to, uh, I think, is talking to uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. about all of these things. We need to look into this. We mm -hmm. need to look into Big, big Pharma because the bottom line is it always comes down to money and we need to look at the damages done and you're right annie in regard to autism we have quite a lot of autism in regard to over here and of course andrew wakefield and the mmr and all this kind of thing right i wasn't so into looking at these issues then when all of that came up and then in regard to my own children especially with my youngest we then did it singly and uh, various other people over here have then refused and gone, no, we're not going to go down the vaccine route. Um, and people, we all used to know that. When the people call measles, then then you would have measles parties with your children so that they would then catch it and then build up immunity. Dan is absolutely right. People have a responsibility here. And the problem is we have a socialist medicine and we think that the hospital is going to solve everything. In other words, people have a responsibility for what they put in their mouth and they have a responsibility in regard to uh, what, you know, what they're eating and what they're drinking and how they are exercising. They have a responsibility in that. And more and more people, instead of in the fact that we're in a society where it's about a quick fix, we need to take responsibility for all of those things and, um, and exercise that. Over here, you know, various people, oh, well, I'll quickly get this pill, I'll quickly get that shot, I'll quickly uh, just go down accident emergency and ask them to solve the problem. We have to take, and which is the center of America, we have to take personal responsibility. And Dan, alluding to something that you've said, which is absolutely right, unless when you're outside America, people, that's why I'm very passionate about your nation, and in many ways, for American abroad, I can tell you that. The key thing is this, is that no, unless you go to America and understand it, and understand what it's about, then you have no understanding of that. You know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and what that actually means. My concern is, right now, is that so many people have rolled over to totalitarianism and tyranny and become sheeple. And I know that I know very much so that people are waking up. I've seen an article that even some sheriffs in Michigan are turning around and going, no, we're not obeying what the governor says. This is against the Constitution. This is fantastic news. And how are Americans going to react 
in regard to civil civil liberties issues, which has just gone on. This is fundamentally important because, as we know, under the Obama administration and under other Democrats, they believe that the Constitution of the United States is a living, breathing organism. It's not. It's a piece of paper and it's fixed. And new laws that come in have to be defined by the Constitution. So all these laws that have come in, the same over here. They've got to roll it back. If we don't, then we are living in tyranny and that's why we look to your we look to your nation we remember reagan talking about you know exceptionalism the lighter you know the light upon the the city upon the hill what does this really mean are people really passionate about that or are they not and especially when it's it's sad that civics is not taught in your schools properly and has not been taught for a minimum of 30 odd years when i talk to dear friends of mine that's why i'm passionate about that because it is that individualism and that individual relationship with God. We only, you know, people have forgotten the history of why the Puritans left Europe because of religious persecution. And we've, we've just seen that laid out. The fact they've been shutting churches. Police, police have been going around booking people because they've been uh, to an open air church in, in, in a drive-in church in their cars and all this kind of thing. There is not enough pushback over here. In that, in that regard either. So civil liberties are a, a huge issue that's going to come into uh, question. I think there's going to be quite a lot of civil action. In fact, some of it's already started, Annie and Dan, in regard to what they did mm-hmm. there. Well, you know, it's it hits yeah, the point I, where I, at this point you, you put someone's health at risk and, and they feel like they're going to die. They're willing to give up their liberty. Now you have Ford is testing these uh bracelets or wristbands or whatever they are, that their workers will get zapped if they go anywhere closer than six feet to a fellow worker. So if they're going to do that, then having some sort of a health certificate or even a chip implanted that says whether or not you were vaccinated is not too far behind. So Mark, no, it again, isn't. And we have that... to watch our liberties. Yeah. And, and they're eroding yeah. minute by minute because we allow the nation to panic. And I think this is, this yeah, is what I'm, the rest I'm, of us are starting to fight against. No, let's not panic. Let's do like Sweden has done. Hey, listen, it's voluntary. We're just asking you to use common sense. Everything remains open. Sweden is having mm-hmm. a great economy right now because they're the one nation in the world that refused to shut down. And we've got to take that example and run with it. I couldn't agree. With, yeah, I, I couldn't agree. agree with you more. I couldn't agree with you more. And I also say, you know, the book of the book of Revelations is very clear about a variety of different things, and uh, we need to really uh, look at that. We really do, and uh, and people need to educate yeah. themselves and behave like the Bereans and look at what's going on. But you're right, Annie. Oh, we'll have a computer chip. Sadly, in Sweden, a lot of people seem to uh, have computer chips put in their hands so they can conduct their lives. That needs to be borne in mind in regard to Swedish society as well. Yeah. One of the things that that's, that's, we've learned about this, this virus is that we've talked about, you know, the, the compromise, the people over 65, people with heart conditions and diabetic and all these things. And yet um, there was a, uh, uh, a reporter, I, I don't think it was this week, but it could have been, who was quite put out 
like it was something that the government did, that the higher percentage of blacks seem to die with this uh, with this virus, and uh, as if it was designed to kill blacks, and uh, everybody kind of danced around the issue, but later after the president's press conference was over, and some of the shows started to talk about that question, it was it it was clear that quote the lifestyle of the elder black people in this country is atrocious. And so they have not accepted, as Mark was saying, their personal responsibility for what happens in their lives. And if they live a terrible lifestyle with high cholesterol and and high blood sugar and they've got type 1 diabetes, they're, they're already identified. And if there's a larger percentage of them in terms of the black population who are vulnerable, um, that's going to happen. But the government, the government itself can't say, okay, virus, don't touch any black people over 65 years of age because they can't control that. And yet there are people in the black community who are outraged that black people seem to have a greater risk than white people and other other, other, uh, races. It's because of the lifestyle that the older blacks have. And that's hard for a lot of the young black people to accept. Well, that's, here we go. That's racist. No, it's not. It's a fact of life of recognizing that these people as a group have chosen a different lifestyle. And the consequences are when something like this happens, they're more vulnerable. And if they don't, if they don't take care and wash their hands and self sequester, because they are vulnerable, um, there's nothing we can do to stop them from potentially dying if they get too far along. You know, it, it's funny because we have a disposable society, and it, the problem is, is that there's kids, there's a whole generations of people that have grown up in America and don't know the old-fashioned washing your hands with a bar of soap and using a hand towel, you know, they've got paper towels, they've got wipes, they've got this, they've got that. It's a disposable society that people don't understand where we came from and how we evolved. You know, I think that is why rural areas are surviving so much better than urban areas, because we have to take that extra step to make sure that we remain healthy by being more sanitary, uh, by being more aware and alert, by being more self-sufficient. I mean, I have to laugh when I drive past a fast food uh, drive-in restaurant. You know, Chick-fil-A and Burger King and all these others, they're doing a booming business because people forgot how to cook for themselves. Heaven forbid they end up having to make their own loaf of bread. You know, they would go to apoplectic shock, you know. They, they just don't know how to take care of themselves in a basic day-to-day living, which is why I think so many people are panicking. Mm. They don't but know those skills, those skills. No, but absolutely, Annie. But also those skills have been deliberately undermined. They've been deliberately undermined in the school system. I could say that over here, if you look at the whole thing of home economics and teaching people how to cook properly and all this kind of thing, that's been deliberately undermined. And I'm sure over there, I mean, you 
You see, you you have a history. If we look at the whole thing of natural medicine, um, we need to be very interesting study another discussion to go back to the 1930s and look at Rockefeller and the attitude and uh, you know infiltrating the whole thing of medicine and creating the the big pharma attitude that we that we have now instead of as you say how people eat people conduct themselves mentally and all the rest i mean of course this has been profoundly difficult for people because they haven't been able to get out but the good thing is is that i think through this that homeschooling may actually go through the roof there'd be a lot more homeschooling that's gone on and all this kind of thing so my friend alex newman will be very pleased about that and also that people have then um discovered okay they've had the conversations on zoom maybe they've been picking up books to read books etc um but sadly of course a load of people would have just been binge watching on one netflix movie after another which is sad but hopefully some people from a mental health point of view which is very important have learned the art of conversation again research finding out what's going on because I'll tell you what, the people I'm talking to, they are really researching and they are really trying to find out what is going on because they are questioning their government and they're questioning how things, you know, and what is going on. And also there is a discussion about what we eat, et cetera, et cetera. So that there are some positive things that, um, that are uh, coming out of this, along with a lot of online prayer meetings, praying with people, through this um that is really really encouraging as well and i'll say this is that anyone who goes back to any church congregation after this if they are not changed or churches are not changed after this experience then we're going to have then they're going to have to ask themselves some very very serious questions Annie. indeed i I think there's going to be a lot because i know a lot of them are now saying where we greet each other when we give the peace there's not going to be a lot of handshaking there's not going to be a lot of hugging anymore uh, when the chalice is passed a lot of people are not going to take a sip out of the chalice anymore so I, I can see things mm-hmm. but I can also see a growing community once the church doors do finally open because people need guidance and living in in solitude is not going to give them guidance. People crave it. Like I said, we are social creatures. We are very social mm. animals, and we crave, you know, a community. And this has been deprived of us. And I think that's why when Michigan raised up, others are turning around and saying it's time to open this nation back up. It's time to get our community back in motion. And I think there's going to be a lot of good coming out of it in the end. And we just got to be prepared to battle the bad, like closing of gun shops, like ticketing people for sitting in their car in the parking lot of a church. Uh, and then the cop uses his own pen to have them sign the ticket. Well, that's real safe distancing there, mister. <laughs> real smart. But we're going to see a change. Whether or not it'll be completely good, I can't guarantee. But there is going to be a huge change. Looking at the clock, we're down within our, our last 10 minutes, guys. I knew the two of you were going to take up the full two hours easily, and we haven't touched the surface <laughs> of half the subjects we started talking about. Unbelievable. But, as they say, this too shall pass. All right, Mark, um, 
where can people find you? It's yourname.org? Yeah, it's very kind of you. But um, I've just launched a new website, which I'm still working on, but I'm uh, very grateful it's out there. So it's marksutherland.org. You can find me on there. Um, and then you can find me on uh, Facebook. But, but Annie, no, it's been, a, it's been a delight and also to be delightful to talk to you, Dan, to be able to have this yes, uh, conversation and, and throw, throw a few. And also with you, Curtis, I always forget you. I do apologize. <laughs> um, it's, always, it's, always, um, it's always good to, you know, just have the opportunity and the privilege to throw a few things out there and get people, get people to think because um, there's some very, very fundamental and serious issues going on. You know, 1984, it seems as though it's arrived. Uh, and various aspects of, uh, you know, the Book of Revelations has arrived, and uh, we have some very serious questions to ask ourselves. Oh, that yes, we, do. we do. And Dan, people can find people can find you at your name, Dan Perkins dot guru. I always I always have to try to remember right. that because <laughs> I always keep on going to the uh, old Dan one, Perkins, Dan I, Perkins at Sanibel right. but Dan Perkins dot guru. Right. And um, I understand you got yourself and, a new show out there. I have a new show called America's Cannabis Conversation. Uh, it's a, um, a show that deals with all facets of the cannabis industry, from growers to developers to dispensaries to lawyers, accountants, uh, regulatory people, uh, group associations, doctors, and medical people. Um, we now are uh, we're on... Um, Spreaker for a podcast. We're on AM FM 24-7, which is uh, 13 or 14 terrestrial stations and 195 um, uh, global uh, links and then 150,000 Roku stations. And then we have um, um, another uh, uh, entertainment global network where we're in 29 countries around the world streaming and then uh, 130 or 40 uh, uh, that can go to podcast. We start. We, we normally have the show on Saturdays. A new show comes out every Saturday at 4:20 in the afternoon, East anytime in your time zone. Then there's another show on Wednesday at four o'clock, or excuse me, six o'clock, and then another show on Saturday at four. Starting this week, we're now broadcasting every day through RSS feed. So we have a special segment on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and a new show on Saturday. Wow. You make me feel small, Dan. (laughs) America's Cannabis Conversation, and uh, it's on W420RadioNetwork.com. Oh, absolutely. Guys, it has been such a pleasure, and it's always fun to have you, and I'm so glad I got the two of you together. Boy, did I start a disaster here between you two. But, hey, <laughs> how's your mom? see the two of you. How's your mom? Oh, uh, my mom is now in the rehab hospital for her stroke. She's getting the care and therapy she definitely needs. Looks like they'll be releasing her back to my care uh, within two weeks, uh, by, by the 30th is the date we're looking at. So that's why I've told people at the start of the show, 
Uh, I'm going week by week whether or not I will be broadcasting until I know whether or not we have ourselves a set routine because she's coming back to me. She will be with me. We're setting up a separate room for her. Got the hospital bed put into the house last night. Just trying to get all mm-hmm. the little things to make it comfortable for her. And hopefully we can get her up and around and independent enough to go back to live on our own. Um, so we're keeping our fingers crossed. But it's been a long road. And at the same time, I now have my husband starting his cancer treatments. So uh, the Lord handed me a full plate here. But, hey, as we say, and this too shall pass. We'll get through this. We'll see right. light at the other side of the tunnel. Right. But thank you for asking. Be safe. All right. Mm, thank be you. safe. So until then, I want to thank Mark Sutherland and Dan Perkins for joining us. Those that are listening in, uh, just click on the links that's on the show page. Go directly to their shows. And Reverend Charlene Coulthorne's uh, page is up there, which is theevidenceministry.org. It has been a great show, Curtis, and that's all i got to say for today. It has been very enlightening, too. Well, until then, and I want to thank everyone that joined us in the chat thank room you for in using the studio. Blog Talk Radio. Uh, Goodbye. I'm having a problem with um, getting up on Facebook, but I think Facebook looked at the title that had COVID-19 in it, and they may have banned me. So I'll try to see if I can get the video <laughs> renamed it back up there. So I'm going to leave everyone with the closing song. This time it's going to be Todd Allen Herndon, My Name is America, because America, this is not going to destroy us. It'll only make us stronger. So until then, I say good night and God bless.